Hello and welcome to another episode of Video Game Logic. Today's show was recorded on February the 6th, 2018. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, the immortal in my heart. Caffeine rage? That makes sense when we talk about games. On today's show, we're going to be discussing our upcoming episode 100 and what we've got planned for that. We're going to be talking about the games that we've played. We are going to pitch a game. We will be having our weekly community corner and our Steam weekly discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. How are you? I'm doing all right. It's uh, kind of just a standard evening for me. Slowly trying to get back into normal sleep cycle. Well, normal for me. I have what's considered a normal sleep cycle right now, and I don't like it. Yeah, you've went been in bed normally when I expect you to be awake. Well, uh, or last night I just uh, had my back act up, and that was That's, fun. Yeah, you just kind of disappeared, and I assumed that the pain was so much that you hit yourself in the head with a mallet and went to sleep. <laughs> Don't I wish? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, the joys of uh, being fat and crippled, uh, and already having a bad back, it does uh, wonders on it. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, I've been having a normal week. Everyone in my house is once again sick. Um, You're running around with a can of Lysol. I I emptied two cans of Lysol today, and I ran out of Lysol, so I made some disinfectant spray out of like vinegar and um, uh, pine salt and water and some other ingredients that the internet said would make a good disinfectant, and then used two spray bottles of that, like a Windex size bottle, you know, like the empty ones you can just buy at Lowe's. I had a couple of those lying around, mm-hmm. and I used two of those. And I've disinfected almost everything in the house. I just and almost every room. And I did like eight loads of laundry today. I'm so tired of everyone being sick. <laughs> in other words, you've had enough of these motherfucking germs in your motherfucking house. <laughs> yes, exactly. So that was that was a fun day. And the only room that hasn't that still remains contaminated is the bedroom, our bedroom, because oh, Katie's my. been in there sleeping all day. And she's still sick. She's just been a walking plague. She's patient zero, I think. <laughs> she's been she's been sick since before Christmas with one malady or another. She's had like three or four doctor's visits in the last month. Yo, I'm we no had, expert, but this doesn't sound healthy. We had a trip to the hospital, which that one was like, I don't think I told that to anyone, actually. Cat's out of the bag. I mean, it wasn't a big deal. She had an allergic reaction to one of the medications she was on. So I guess it was kind of a big deal. We went to the hospital, but everything was fine. It's fine. But it's just been a fun, crazy week. And my body has been holding up pretty well, given the circumstances. But this weekend, it just kind of crapped out on me. And I slept for like two days straight, or as much of that as you can do when you're Mr. Mom. So we didn't do really do anything over the weekend. Like I was fine Thursday night. We streamed and hung out and stuff. And then I woke up Friday morning and went, <sighs> Well, I guess it's my turn. Again. And I took, like, I took a nap Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I slept, and I took a nap today, actually. But that was because I was tired, not because I felt bad. But I was I went to bed early every night. For And for me, early is like 12.30 or 1 a.m. Normally, I stay up until 2.30 or 3. So got a lot of extra sleep. 
I think, um, I mean, my voice might give out during the middle of this, but the only symptom that I really have left is a little bit of stuffiness and a sore throat. So I've got tea, I've got water, room temperature water. I've learned my lesson on that one. It only took me two years of podcasting to do it, but I've learned my lesson on that one. I yeah, most cool. I only drink room temperature water when recording now. So, and remember, I told you this, uh, what, episode one? Long time ago. Long time ago. I just like, I like really cold drinks. Yeah, but it shocks the throat too much. It does. I mean, you'd think my throat be, would be used to being shocked by now. Hey-o. So, well, and, uh, uh, well, well, see, the problem is that this is a lot uh, less viscous than the fluid you're used to in your throat. But um, also viscous, good word. Thank you. Uh, did you watch the Falcon Heavy launch today? Yes, I watched it live. Okay, I missed it live, but I watched it shortly afterwards. Yeah, uh, that was pretty awesome. Fucking amazing. Yes. Uh, I, has there been any news about the Central Core? Because that was still uh, up in the air, or not? Uh, <laughs> I see. Uh, uh, last I heard, they hadn't uh, released anything official. I'm assuming that it crashed, considering you know they didn't you know, release any info about it soon thereafter the uh, stream. But yeah. Yeah, well, that's the one that they've always had the most trouble with, right? Because that's the one that comes back and lands on the drone ship. Uh, well, this is a heavily modified version of it, and the drone ship is very little margin of error. Yeah. It lo- it was coming in for a proper landing, and then the cameras shut off, which that's happened before when it's landed properly. Just the the force of the rocket coming back in blows the cameras off or disrupts the signal. So... But but at the time that I watched it, which was, I think, an hour, I didn't see anything about it. So as far as I know, still no information on that. But it was beautiful to see the two booster rockets come back and land simultaneously. Uh, I actually shed a couple of tears. At how- uh, uh, I just got some info. According to this, uh, it failed to, launch, uh, to land on the drone. Okay. Uh, there's no video of it yet. I imagine that, yeah, there was cameras all over the fucking place there. Yeah. It'll be released eventually. I mean, they've shown us plenty of their failures before, so I don't know why this one would be any different. I mean, they made uh, a failure montage. Yeah. But anyways, like I was saying, I I actually shed a couple of tears watching the two first stages come back and land together. Just like... Yeah, Scott Manley actually had a video and he was saying that they wouldn't be landing simultaneously. I'm not sure where he got his info. Uh, at least I, if, I think it was Scott Manley that was uh, talking about earlier today. So, uh, you know, that was a bit of a surprise for him because I was expecting it, you know, there to be a slight delay between the two, but no, simultaneous. Yeah. I mean, there might have been like a couple of seconds, but damn, well, that was so cool. Well, remember, Just so like, Scott Manley was saying a 15 second delay. Yeah, it definitely was not 15 seconds. Yeah. Because I was watching the, the playback of the live stream, so there wouldn't be any post editing on that well probably not but if you watched it live then yeah there's definitely no editing on it so well that's what they want you to think (laughs) right because the earth's flat (laughs) and it's just a big pencil or something like that oh yeah that there's no way that that it can fly like that because you can't fly a pencil like that grand that's the most uh yeah prominent of uh it's dumbass uh, the uh, politically correct term here who cares? Okay, dumbass. When have, we, when have we ever been really politically correct? I don't know. Uh, when uh, When the fuck have we? I don't think we've ever been politically correct. 
maybe I have a little bit here and there because I'm a sensitive guy and have a sensitive career, but well, not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I've been part- <laughs> it's a good thing I have a good sense of humor. Some might have seen that as a low blow, although I like it low. Wink. Yeah, I mean, is it possible to give you a low blow if? Well, wait a minute. <laughs> I mean, if you if you kick me in the nuts, I won't enjoy that. But if you know, if there's oh, at least like at the general- moment. There's just some general fondling. I'm, I'd be okay with that. You might not be, but I would. <laughs> I think I'd either an adult. Anyways, it was just like I may, said like three minutes ago. It was just nice. It was beautiful to see science in action. There's so much, uh, particularly yeah. in American news about how, you know, Trump is dismantling our, the, the beautiful science. <laughs> I don't want to say industry, but that's wrong. But you yeah, know but I mean. at least like, we have a beautiful clean coal still. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was just so nice. I was like, something beautiful from science. Yeah, there was actually, a, this kind of ties in a little bit back into the podcast, so we're actually somewhat on topic. There was a little bit of discussion back and forth about uh, this being a PR stunt with the Tesla. And yeah, it is a PR stunt. It's trying to get uh, people to pay attention to space once again. And it worked. There was a lot more attention to this launch than I think there would have been otherwise. Yeah. It was also, I saw something beautiful happening actually in YouTube comments of all things where people who were like, um, you know, I'm not a rocket scientist, but I play Kerbal Space Program and here's <laughs> how this works. Cause people were like, whoa, this is really cool. They sent a car into space, but I don't understand half the, th- the terms that they're saying. And I was like, wow, people in YouTube comments are being nice. Yeah. I mean, granted, there were plenty of dickheads in there too, but. And people like the- claiming that it's fake, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, Kerbal Space Program is probably one of the better uh, teaching tools out there for space travel because it will teach you or you'll just continuously blow up on the launch pad. It forces you to learn at least the very basics of rocket science. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. After watching today's launch, I kind of wanted to play KSP a little bit. Yeah. I yeah, didn't. Uh, p- I yeah, pick up my won, save but... file from uh, the game club, but I have other things to play right now. Yeah, me too. Speaking of which, that, that would be a good segue yeah. to games we played. Yeah, unfortunately, We're talk about episode 100 <laughs> first. So coming up in two weeks, as long as nothing happens, because we're pretty sure this is episode 98 that we're recording yeah, right now. Uh, yeah, on my list, it's 98. Okay, so coming up in two weeks, we have our official episode 100. Technically, since we've never missed a week because we've done Franken episodes and then we have non-numbered shows occasionally. Yeah, we're, we're well past, past 100. 100. But this is the but, numbered series. Right, so this is the only one that counts. So for episode 100, <laughs> we are going to be introducing two new... Reoccurring uh, topics. Re- reoccurring topics, yeah. Kind of like how we do pitch a game. Every once in a while, we're going to bring this topic back up. And you and I have spent a couple of weeks putting these together. And like a fool, I don't have the episode 100 <laughs> list pulled up. <laughs> do you have that pulled up? Or, or? Uh, I didn't have the tab open. Uh, Okey-dokey. But, yeah, we have two major topics. We have Mount Rushmore, which is going to be a topical topic, as in the Mount Rushmore of something. Uh, I lovingly stole this from another podcast, so stole it from another podcast, and this has been around so many times that that the trademark has completely worn off of it, so we're stealing it. (laughs) Yep. It's entered the public domain. So, pretty much, uh, you know, the four, not best, I would say the uh, probably the best term for this would be influential or the uh, key players. 
and we have a long list of ideas for Mount Rushmore's. We yeah, haven't actually for- sat down and discussed exactly which one we're going to do for 100, but we have a few uh, good suggestions already. But if yeah, you have more, is- you have uh, about a week to get it in. Yeah, and this is going to cover a wide range of topics in the gaming industry. For example, we've got uh, genres. So, you know, first-person shooter, RPG, the, the Mount Rushmore of those particular genres. We've talked about doing game developers. We've talked about doing the Mount Rushmore for a decade, like the 90s or the 2000s. Um, and I would so say a- I would say probably for 100, do a general uh, Mount Rushmore. You know, your four most influential things in gaming. Yeah. So we're we're but, gonna but we have a, we have a uh, yeah it's not set in stone, right? The other <laughs> nice one, nice. The uh, the other major recurring topic that we're putting together is we don't have a good name for it, but it's a sort of a history, history corner. Yeah, a, a history corner and personal experience with certain developers and for episode 100 of each chosen two developers which i'm not going to spoil yeah um that we're gonna go briefly discuss the history of the company or developer or publisher talk about our personal experience with it and talk about where we think that they're gonna where they're going in the future uh, yeah, one of mine is going to be very easy for the future <laughs> <laughs> one of and i and uh i we sort of springboarded this idea off of something that we heard on the co-optional podcast where they were talking about what game developers today, despite or in spite of or ignoring the bullshit industry trends, still make games for gamers. And we and, sat down and we yeah. rolled this idea around for like, God, three weeks? I would say more than that because it, this has been kind of uh, out there for quite a while. But so we've we've workshopped this idea. We fine-tuned it. Makes and then we threw all that in. Mind. Yeah. And then, then we... We threw it all out and uh, bullshitted. Yeah. We'll we'll come up with a better name for it by the time this actually rolls around. History Corner, I think, is a good working title, at least. I think so. That's better than than what we originally had. Wait, we had something before? I think I threw out an idea, and we laughed because it was stupid. But I don't remember, because... <laughs> it was, I was stupid. <laughs> I can't remember if that was the night that I was uh, on that, drugs that was, or that, that you were tired. And didn't feel I, I think that was the same night. <laughs> okay. Well, regardless, we're, we're having those two large topics for episode 100. Um, and also, the reason we're putting this out there now is, number one, if you guys want to comment on either give us ideas or, you know, throw something at us related to these two topics, go for it. Also, if any of our longer-term listeners, or newer listeners, I suppose, uh, want to chip in some some letters, audio, or some special tweets for episode 100. We'd love to have some stuff from you guys. I might be doing some arm twisting. Oh, my. I'm going to twi- uh, twist those in, arms. Uh, that would be vglpodcast at gmail.com or vglpodcast on the Twitter. Indeed. This has been a long journey, and I know some of you have been with us pretty much since the beginning. And we're sorry. <laughs> so we'd love to hear from you guys. I mean, we still have uh, our core from Kerbalcast. Indeed. Uh, Indeed. I'm, uh, maybe we could kidnap Biff. Oh, God. Wait, <laughs> really? Really kidnap Biff? Like, physically mount a kidnapping attempt? Oh, why I not? Mean, I, I've yeah, even though, free time even though, here lately. Even though maybe that's who Elon Musk launched. Because I've been trying to figure this out. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I first thought Jimmy Hoffa, but then I ruled that out because too obvious. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's definitely not Biff because the Starman wasn't fat enough. Yeah, but we haven't seen Biff in a while. He could have been in hiding and you know, without food. Maybe. Seems unlikely, but maybe. Uh, plus, you know, compression, you know, just... Uh, they sewed the suit onto him. <laughs> it was It was, it was skin stick. tight. It was the stick from Top Gear. <laughs> oh, but... Uh, enough of this foolishness. Uh, games we played? Indeed. Let's go talk about the large, long list of games that we played. This week, um, even though we don't have, like, giant lists, we have four games apiece, but... A couple of them for each of us are going to be pretty long, and I don't want my voice to wear out. So we're going to alternate this one. Well, I'm not sure if any of mine are particularly long. There's uh, three of them that kind of triggered, uh, let's see, uh, I'm going to borrow the George Carlin quote. I don't have pet peeves. I have psychotic fucking hatreds. <clears throat> I'd, I'd love to laugh at that, but I'm actually holding it back because I don't want to make crazy coughing noises. But that was quite quite funny. Call back to George Carlin. Yeah. Anyways, that uh, completely ruined the joke by talking about it instead of just laughing. Carry on. Yeah, uh, which uh, I really miss George Carlin these days. I do too. Uh, but let's start off with Paradox Wrench. This is a indie game that tries desperately to be Portal, right down to you're a test subject and there's a voiceover that's, well, trying to be funny in this case. And you're given a gun in first person. Yeah, it was a first person pseudo-physics platformer. They do not explain a fucking thing about how the mechanics work in this game. At all. This is a actually a candidate for drop it like a hot rock for me. I spent Ooh. I spent about 10 minutes on it, and then I was done. But it pissed me off so much that I'm talking about it. Okay. If you look at the screenshots of this, you would think, okay, poor, don't you shoot things, and yo, things happen. Yeah. No. You would be wrong, mostly. A large chunk of the physics in this game is tied to the color of your gun. As in, well, you can see it in the in the trailer. Uh, uh, certain platforms that are colored are only solid when your gun matches them. And they do not fucking explain that. I spent, uh, I spent most of the... Uh, Guess I played more than 10 minutes. It, it doesn't show the exact time I uh, played. Uh, jumping on the uh, same two platforms, trying to figure out, okay, why the fuck is this solid now? And it wasn't before because I wasn't uh, getting the, you know, uh, making uh, the connection in my head because it also has this uh, mechanic where you could shoot things, but it's only certain blocks that you're able to color. And it made absolutely no sense. And the voiceover doesn't even, uh, try to help you. The voiceover is just telling you riddles the entire time. The one that I remember is, what has uh, no beginning and no end? Do you want to care to answer that one? What has no beginning and no end? Mm -hmm. I mean, you would think, based on the name of the game, it would be a paradox, right? Yeah. A donut. What? Yeah. Yeah, you can tell... I guess technically I could see that because a donut and is round. I, re I respectfully but... disagree because if you have a donut near me, it has a fucking end. <laughs> I, I see what you did there. Uh, but beyond the rather frustrating color mechanics, they also have it where uh, there's, uh, uh, like in the third chamber, uh, there's a section of the uh, of it that is that has inverted gravity and you have to swap all the uh, colors around. It's it's a classic case of, one, 
wanting to be Portal and not learning a fucking lesson from Portal and how it handles its uh, tutorials. And Portal's actually a good chunk tutorial when you sit down and break it down. Very subtle tutorial for most of it. There, there are some, you know, hard, uh, uh, tutorial, you know, jump uh, from here to here to do this. But then there's, uh, design cues with how they design jumps and uh, the lighting in the game. This, oh, another thing about this game, you know, getting off uh, that is also how they uh, texture it, but I'll get into that. And this, yeah, you know, there's no cues. It's purely the game designer is able to figure it out because they designed it that way. And I'm not sure if there's been any fucking playtesting on this at all. If there is, then they had direct contact with the uh, game designer. Or maybe I'm just stupid. I mean, that's the other possibility. It looks really difficult to parse, and maybe this isn't exactly what you're talking about, but everything is in grayscale except for the colored yeah, blocks. That's what I was going to get to, is that uh, the second chamber, I was having trouble trying to judge a jump because there's uh, there's a tile texture on the ground, on uh, you know, the floor, and all the walls are the same tone of gray, and there's no real shading to them. So if you're looking at a jump straight on, all the uh, shapes kind of meld together into this blob of gray. Yeah, in, in even the trailer video, there's a scene where he like stacks up two blocks to jump on, onto a platform, and the first time I watched it, I didn't realize he was jumping to a platform, because all of the walls are the same color. Yeah, it's so fucking atrocious. you can't see the platform. Yeah, that's terrible. Anyways, carry on. Yeah, I, I mean, I've loaded this up expecting, you know, maybe a slightly decent uh, portal ripoff, which th- these have been popping up quite a bit recently, haven't they? Yeah, feels like it. Because uh, you've talked about several in the last few weeks. Yeah, yeah, they, these have been, uh, yeah. Uh, and I can understand why, because Portal was a very popular game, and there hasn't really been another really good game in this genre that I know of. The closest I can think of is Quantum Conundrum. And it was fucking frustrating, because, well, for one, they left a cliffhanger, and then the uh, studio kind of died. But also, some of the puzzles were a bit iffy, and the physics weren't quite as polished as they should be. But this, no. Hard pass. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, it, it looks very poorly designed. I mean, I think this is a one-man dev team, or... I mean, the, the design team is a guy's name, so I should tell you something. And he... Uh, well, let's put it this way. Uh, he has a lot of titles. Most of them are in the mixed range. And honestly, none of them look particularly good. Uh, I have to admit, the probably the best-looking one out of this games is Not Without My Poop. I'm sorry, what? It's about a dung beetle. Oh, okay. That only makes it slightly better. And rolling this giant ball shit. And it actually could be interesting. And I actually got a review code of it as well, but uh, seeing that it's made by the same guy, yeah, I'm not holding my breath for this for it to be any good. But I mean, some of his games are, you know, pretty much just uh, almost Atari era uh, graphics. Which, yep. Yeah, isn't a knock on the game uh, right away, but uh, you know you have to have good game design these days if you're going to have graphics that crude. Yeah. So anyway, um, uh, in in uh, summary, uh, no, sir, I don't like it. 
That is that is very fair. Okie dokie. Hey, I gave it a shot at least. Well, I quite like my first game, and that is Civilization VI. The January Humble Monthly had Civ VI and all of its so far released DLC, which I think there's two DLC packs, the Australia pack and something else, uh, for $12 plus whatever else you got for the monthly. Um, and I, I mean, I got it specifically for Civ Six. And boy, oh boy, do I like Civ Six. I've got a few issues with it, and we'll get to those. But in general, Civ Six is, it, it took them, well, I guess there's Civilization Beyond Earth, but that was sort of an evolution of Civ Five as opposed to a new game. And it took, what, five, six years for them to release Civ Six? Uh, Civ Five uh, launched in I think 2010, so but but you know expansion. So let's call it about five years, five or six. Right, right. So base Civ Six compared to base Civ Five is normally what happens is the base game is not as good as the previous game with its expansions. But I think the base game of Civ Six is better than Civ Five's with its expansions. My kid, sorry. Um, because they improved almost everything. They changed a couple of the systems for the better. They added the religious, the way that the religious system works in Civ Six, building your own religion and religious combat and all of that jazz. At first, I didn't like that, but once I kind of got a handle on it, it was a is really interesting and good, and makes for interesting dynamic gameplay. I've played three full games so far. Uh, I did the the first game on one of the lower difficulties. Uh, there's Settler, which is difficulty one. I think it's War Chief or Chieftain. That's difficulty two. I played my first game on that difficulty just so I could get used to the way that the game handles and the um, district system, which is a hundred percent new and different than anything in any other Civ game before. And the districts are really, really good. So in older Civ games, Everything is sort of built in your city center. You have your improvement tiles that you get with your workers, which has, you know, evolved over the years. But um, basically, that was all that you did that was outside of your city center was improvement tiles. Now, you have the districting system, and each wonder is built on a separate hex within your city limit, whichever city you build it in. Um, And by and large, that's a really good improvement to the game. Previously, with everything being built in your city center... All of your cities just sort of became an amalgamation of everything, um, and it didn't really encourage uh, varied gameplay, in my experience. Uh, putting cities in different places or um, changing the way you actually progress through. Like, it was uh, There's like, a couple right. of civs that uh, kind of uh, do that. Uh, the Incas uh, do. But what what I'm, uh, what I'm getting at, basically, is that every city sort of turns out the same. Ah, yeah, okay, I can see games. that. Um, and with the districting system, I mean, if you if the game goes on long enough, eventually your cities get big enough that you can pretty much build every district. But especially in the early to mid game, depending on what strategy you're going for, the civ you have, you have some very wildly differing cities. Also, you can tackle problems a lot faster with the district system because, say, for example, you're behind on science or culture and you've got a couple of cities that... Um, aren't really doing very much and you can build some districts 
if you know if you're behind on culture you build the campus district which allows you to build science buildings and because these districts all of the buildings in the districts now I'll have the the same output for each building that you put in uh what i mean by that is that like if you build a building in a science district it's always going to be plus 10 science as opposed to the other civ games where it was all based on your population and things like that so if you've got a city that's in a really shitty spot for population but you're behind on science, build a science district in that city. Build it up really quickly, and then you can boost your science that way. And you can do that for your economy. Uh, you can do that for troop production. Um, you can still build like the factory district and things like that so that you can eat really boost a city's output. But you tend to only build those um, on in cities that already have a really high production because those tend to be your unit-producing cities and things like that. Um but just the districts add a really wide variety of gameplay. They allow you to specify cities for what you want them to be, and you can really focus on that for a long time. They give you a good catch-up mechanic if you find yourself behind. Because one of the biggest problems that Civ has is that typically in the mid-game, you have one or two people that are sort of running away with it because they got a lucky start, or they won a war early on, or something like that. And it's like, okay, those people are going to be the winners. The district system gives you a nice catch-up mechanic, among some other things that help with mitigate that problem to make the game more fair, which I'll talk about in a minute. But uh, overall, the districts are amazing. The wonders do the same thing. You have to build wonders on tiles now instead of them just being built in your city, uh, which can be frustrating at times, but it really does make you make city planning a lot more important than it was in the past, which I like. Because, again, it goes to the, well, I could build a wonder on this tile, but in order to do that, I'm going to lose this resource because it'll remove my encampment that I have here or it'll remove, you know, my silver mine or whatever. You know, do the benefits of this wonder outweigh losing whatever for this city? And, I mean, sometimes, you know, you can just build, buy a tile that you don't have any improvements on or use, like, a desert tile or something. But most of the wonders have specific placements, like to, to closely match as close as possible where the real world wonder is. Like, for example, the Sydney Opera House has to be built next to a harbor district. So you can't just build the Sydney Opera House, uh, Opera House in the middle of the desert. Not with attitude, yeah. you can't. And then conversely, you have to build the pyramids, the Great Pyramids, on a desert. So that's pretty fascinating. Um... I mentioned catch-up mechanics before and sort of having a balance, more balanced start. The game has got a lot more options for giving you more balanced starts. I mean, you can just kind of throw everything into classic Civ mode, and it's all random, and if you get a shitty start, then you either have to really work hard to make up for it or you're fucked. But you can, um, when you generate the map, you can tell it to give everyone balanced starting areas so that your first two or three cities, everyone will be on a level playing field. Which that's really nice too, because there's nothing worse than starting a game of Civ and you get, I don't know, an hour in and you discover that you have no resources around you. Yeah, I'm kind of fighting that uh, in my Civ 5 playthrough right now on YouTube. Yeah, and then you discover, you know, another half an hour in, well, I'm, you know, in an oasis and everything around me is desert or tundra. So that's really nice to, to feel like at least you get an even start. Um... The Civ bonuses, I feel like, are less unique than they used to be. I think that was done in favor of balance. 
Um, I mean, there's still some civs that have some pretty good bonuses, like uh, the British now with Victoria. Once you hit a certain point uh, in your tech tree or research a certain civic, what I can't remember which it is, which, which civics, civics weren't in Civ Five, were they? The governing, uh, they were policies. Different. Because okay. civics are kind of cards now instead of just a generic uh, tech tree, essentially, or sub-tech tree. Right, which is really good. I'll talk about that in a minute, too. But, for example, Victoria, once you get a certain civic, every new city that you get, whether you capture it or build it, starts with a free infantry unit spawning inside of it. So when you're at war with Victoria, if you're winning, you get sort of this snowball effect of every city you capture gives you a free military unit with which you can immediately turn around and start attacking the person you just captured a city from. Uh, Trajan for the Romans, they're, they probably have, just based on reading them, I haven't played with all the civs yet, but they have what's called the Roman Road Civic. Um, and every city that you build that can be connected to your capital via a trade route starts like it immediately builds a road between your capital and that city, which is extremely powerful in the early game because you can be a lot more mobile and move forces around from city to city. So, I mean, there's a couple of outliers, but for the most part, all of the civs uh, bonuses have been toned down a little bit, um, which I think that's, again, has been done in the nature of balance. I don't know if they'll balance out some of the ones that are a little more powerful but there could be some pretty good counters to that stuff. I've only played the Americans, the British, and the Romans. So I'll see as time goes on if other civs have bigger bonuses. The civic system has been completely redone. Um, there's less government types than there have been in the past, but you, they each have basically civic card slots, which you research using culture points that you generate. Uh, and the civic cards do all kinds of stuff so you can mix and match your government and this also is a good catch-up mechanic because there's civics specifically that help players that are behind versus those that are ahead um and there's uh civics to mitigate all kinds of stuff like if you're in a prolonged war and your population is starting to get unhappy you can change up some of your government policies to reduce the war weariness penalty so your citizens will not be so unhappy or give you bonus happiness from amenities which happiness is done city by city now instead of across your entire... Yeah, that um, I like. That is really good uh, because you can just... If you have one city that's really unhappy, just pop a trade route to them and that bumps their happiness up because now they have access to the wider variety of uh, luxury goods in your civilization. There's also a district that helps with happiness. It's the entertainment district. That one's really useful. Uh, what? Not the red light district. Then there's the religion system and the religion system is really useful. I haven't won a game with a religious system yet. I've won a science victory, a military victory and a cultural victory. I haven't done the religious one yet. Uh, but the religion adds a whole new layer of strategy to the game because there's a lot of mix and match bonuses you can do with your religion. Uh, whenever you get enough holy points or religious points or whatever it is, uh, I think it's worship points. Whenever you get enough worship points, you unlock a pantheon, which is like the first step to religion. And that's a bonus that you have 
in your in all of your cities to start with, and it can be like this certain type of tile produces one more food, or yeah, that's pretty uh, uh, much how it worked in the previous game. Right. Then, as you build your religious system and you get to create your own religion, which my religion is always sex perverts, um, you can continue to add bonuses on top of that one. And there's a certain maximum level you can reach, but you can get an additional three bonuses. So you can mix and match that to suit the type of gameplay that you want to have. And they get incredibly powerful. Like, holy sites can generate bonus science and production and... Temples can provide housing or happiness and things like that. There's also like trade bonuses you can get. If you're going for a religious victory, you're probably going to go for the things that generate additional religious points. Um, but that's a really nice mix and match and is also a good catch up mechanic. If you can keep your own, all of your own cities within your own religion, because whichever religion a city follows is the bonuses that they get. So even if you're not going for a religious victory, it pays to have enough religion being generated within your culture to keep your cities as religious cities or as your religion that way that you can get the bonuses that suit your playstyle. what uh, all that's been added has been the religious combat system which allows you to create uh missionaries and apostles and a few other units to spread religion your religion to other cultures and to stamp out other cultures religion within your culture. How is that different from uh, Fives? Um, didn't... Did Five have religious combat? Uh, not what direct, they... but you had uh, essentially pressure uh, generated by the population. And as it ran along trade routes and uh, throughout your sieve, uh, it could push out re- uh, uh, offending religions or, you know, other religions. But also, okay, you can so, build inquisitors and missionaries to stamp out certain religions, but also spread yours to others, which there's some benefit to having other uh, civs get your religion because you can build it around uh, a certain uh, if a certain population it follows your religion, both your civ uh, and others, you can get bonus gold or, or a certain amount of happiness if that uh, a percentage of the world has your uh, religion, that sort of thing. Okay, so what's been added is there are additional units. There's, I think, six units in total. There's gurus, which can heal any unit, the military, civilian, or other religious units. There's the inquisitor, which can stamp out other religions and is one of the stronger religious combat units because you can fight other uh, people's religious people. Yeah, that's something that was fucking annoying in 5 was that if you got someone that was trying heavily to push their religion, you had to pretty much go to full war to be able to stop them because their missionaries would just come and come and come. Which, yeah. uh, which unless they're into Catholicism, you know. And- well, religious wars can start real wars, but there's no penalty and religious units can go anywhere, even if you don't have open borders, because they're not military units. Um, so you can have a religious war without having a real war. But so anyways, there's gurus, there's inquisitors, there's apostles, which are the only units that can increase your, um, like religion's power. So you can get additional bonuses and apostles can do basically everything, but they're incredibly expensive religious units. There's so missionaries. Sort of, uh, the equivalent of the great prophet. Sort of. Yeah. Uh, which, I mean, you can still get great prophets, but they're 
just wrapped up as, as great people now. So they give you, you know, bonuses like other great people do. But apostles, missionaries, which work exactly as before. And there's a, one special religious unit that someone gets that I can't remember who it is. And they can actually do both religious proselytizing and actual combat against combat units. And then there's the monk, which can also do that. I think it's the monk. So it's just it's just an expanded system. It works differently. I, I have, don't have as much experience with the religion system in Civ Five because I got the expansions way late. Um, but it is expanded and more intricate. There's no more bonuses in terms of like converting an X number of population gives you like additional happiness or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you still get the religion bonuses, uh, like I said before, and then you can win a religious victory if you convert over 50% of every civilization's cities to your religion. Yeah, see, there wasn't really a uh, an end game to religion. There, uh, it uh, could boost you, but there was no victory condition tied to it. Yeah, the way I felt about Civ V's religion system Very was that there was, there was really no downside to it. And if you completely ignore religion in Civ Six, you can lose the game with a religious victory. Uh, because you can, you know, if you keep your cities from being inverted, they can't win because they don't get 50% of your cities. Um, so you can lose the game if you ignore it. And it's actually got enough depth to it now that it really pays off to create a religion and keep your cities your religion so that you can get the bonuses that are affecting the way you want to play the game. Now, uh, next game I play, I'm going to try and get a religious victory. But what's left? Combat. I mean, combat is Civ Combat. They've changed a few things. You had unit stacking in Civ 4, which went away in Civ 5. Yeah, which honestly, after playing Civ 5 and then going back to Civ 4, I don't think I can play Civ 4 because I don't like the death walls. The way that they've handled that in Civ 6, I kind of like, as you research uh, military civics or military-focused civics, and you can start building armies uh, and fleets and things of you know various types of units which just makes like a single unit, but it's more strong or it's stronger. Um, so it's, I mean, you're better off, I think in most cases, having more numbers versus stronger single units. But if you're trying to keep your military costs down or something like that, you can create stronger units out of multiple units. Um, you know, it's okay. It's, I think, I think it's a good happy medium between death balls and the weak, what I felt like was a weak military system in, in Civ Five. Uh, to me, the Civ Five combat always came down to uh, more of a rock paper scissors, and the thing is that the AI never was really able to exploit it. You know, uh, you uh, always ha- had uh, certain civs would uh, build a certain way, and that's about it. And even on random personality, uh, they don't really adapt. And that's, uh, I think that's the biggest weakness of the Civ series just in general is the AI. Yeah. I haven't played, I've played on three difficulties. I started on difficulty two, which was Chieftain. I played on difficulty three, which is, I don't remember. And then I played on difficulty four, which is Prince. And that's the standard normal difficulty. Um, and I didn't really have any trouble winning. On Prince. Yeah, I typically uh, like to play on Prince, but I'm also, well, for Civ 5, I'm running a mod that <laughs> makes the AI a bit smarter. And I have Gandhi, noticed some difference. 
Gandhi, of course, did the best when I played on Prince, uh, and he was the only Civ that kept up with me. Uh, I played with Gandhi, whoever the guy is for the Germans in this one, Cleopatra, and Saladin. So Hitler. And, uh, no, it wasn't Hitler. Oh, oh, wait, that's another uh, uh, grand strategy that I keep meaning to go back to, but right now I have Xenonauts to to work with, so... I think after Xenonauts is done, I'm going to dive into it Yeah, and be literally the Ger- Hitler. The Germans I had conquered by the Industrial Age, they were useless. They overextended too early, and so they had too many small cities. And I just was like, well, I think now's a good time to just war path through here. So I conquered them early on. And then Saladin took out, almost took out Cleopatra, and then I came and saved her, and we fought saladin to a stalemate and then he never really advanced anymore i don't know what happened to him but he just kind of went off the map and then gandhi of course gandhi was a force to be reckoned with and uh we've been at, at war for like 50 years and i mean we're in the in the the nuclear age the atomic age Uh-oh. actually i just got to the information age i'm the only one who's deployed nuclear weapons so far but i know gandhi has the technology to have them and, so and gandhi's uh like do you have any of this uranium? <laughs> He's actually asked for it a couple of times. I'm like, no. <laughs> you. Uh, you know, th- those rocks are, are glowing. They look dangerous. Let me take them off your hands. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep you safe. But yeah, I don't, mean, I'm, I'm th- yeah. Let, let me just borrow them. I'll, I'll give them right back. I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying Civ Six though. I'm gonna play a couple more games on Prince. Try out a few different, um, few different Civs. Try a few different strategies and see if I need to bump the difficulty up any farther. Because, I mean, I don't, it you know, past prints, the, the AI just starts cheating. Like a motherfucker. That, that's that's what I always hated about uh, the higher difficulty civs, uh, or civ uh, difficulties, I should say, is that they're not making the AI smarter. They're just allowing it to cheat more and more. And that, <laughs> I've realized that it's difficult to, program an AI, particularly on a game as complex as Civ. But it's just so fucking lazy. Yeah. But, you know, I I mean, I've played three games, like 40 hours. I feel like I'm starting to get a grasp on Civ 6, at least well enough that I can talk about it. But I haven't quite fully explored, uh, you know, all of the different facets when everything's a level playing field. But uh, yeah, Civ 6, good game. Can't wait to do it for some multiplayer stuff in the future. I almost said near future, but I don't think I'm ready to play it multiplayer yet. Like, seriously. I suspect Kyle would kick my ass right now. We can't have that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm not sure how I feel about skipping the Humble Monthly, because I, honestly, I always feel like Civ is best to wait for at least the first expansion, which it's coming this month. Uh, but yeah, this is also probably the cheapest I would uh, be able to get it for a while. But yeah, yeah. Th- that the expansion price would uh, you know, bump up the overall price quite a bit. Typically, it, I wait until at least the first major expansion. But like twelve bucks for Civ Six, only a year and a bit after its release, because it released late twenty sixteen. I was like, yeah, I can't beat that. Yeah, I did try to give I uh, get uh, whenever I had the price error on that one gaming site that. Absolutely crashed the site and eventually caused the site to uh, just shut down because they had to issue refunds on Black Friday. 
and they lost all their Black Friday sales because they did a price error. I think it was sub ten dollars uh, for the uh, collector's edition or the digital deluxe or whatever. You know, the one that gave you all the DLCs up to the first expansion. Yeah. Uh, but they lost all their Black Friday sales, and yeah, it, it was just too much for them. I mean, I can't blame them for uh, closing up shop, but yeah, check your fucking sale prices. Yeah, don't yeah. don't let the intern uh, go wild. Anyway, speaking of, well, I have no segue for this. So, uh, Motorsport Manager Mobile. This is not affiliated, as far as I can tell, with the PC version of Motorsport Manager. But this popped up on uh, the Google Play Store, and I thought I'd give it a, a look. And it's actually not a bad management game. It, granted, there's some things about it that piss me off, but I may. So, I look at it this way. If I had nothing bad to say about the game, you'd be very suspect about it. So, this is a motorsport management game. I mean, hey, it's right there on the 10. And you are managing... Hey, what about that? A motorsport. Uh, a car... Uh, uh, racing team. They don't really say what type of car. I mean, it looks uh, like a sort of a Formula One-esque car, but not quite. But anyway, you're going through uh, various uh, championships, uh, building up your team, uh, managing your drivers, managing uh, your pit crew, and it's a very simplistic uh, management game. Uh, there's not a lot to manage during the racing season. or uh, You handle your uh, crew and honestly, a lot of it is pretty much build up to a certain point and then fire everyone and hire better people. There's no real development with your drivers, no real development with your crew. They're just kind of static. And that's one of the things I absolutely hate. I wish there was some sort of, of overall development or, you know, be able to send your drivers in the off season to a camp or something to be able to train up or, you know, even get them to just sit down and uh, play a racing game so they can try to improve their stats. No, you just have to remove them outright and completely change them, which yeah, doesn't feel right to me. Uh, there is a young driver system that's pretty much an easy way to replace your drivers if you build that up enough. Uh, and uh, let's see, I'm looking at the screenshots to be able to uh, go through all the uh, different sections of this because it's actually a it is more complex than I uh, thought it would be, but it's also still fairly simple. Car development is pretty much throw as many monkeys as you can in various uh, uh, divisions of the car. You know, uh, build up your aerodynamics to you know, make the car more sleek and uh, be able to have more downforce. Uh, build up the engine to be able to have more vroom vroom and uh, more acceleration. Uh, yeah, pretty bog standard. And as you build up your headquarters, you're able to essentially add more crew to those various subsections and throughout the uh, different seasons. Those slowly improve with your uh, overall engineers, uh, the head of the divisions being a modifier or a bonus to them. So there is a sort of development uh, system, but not quite. Uh, occasionally I've had uh, the game throw up a, you know, some sort of event uh, saying, uh, your driver was uh, caught saying this on social media and, you know, I'm giving a couple options, but never really specifically said Yo, if there's been any uh, repercussions about me saying, oh, yeah, he's a naughty, naughty boy. You know, fine's going around. Or, yeah, just let him run. It's just, it, there's no real feedback. And that's probably my biggest grip with this game is no real feedback 
off the racetrack or on. As you uh, go through the races, and this handles it in a sort of 3D-esque with uh, dots representing the cars. It's sort of like how Motorsport Manager does it on PC. Uh, only Motorsport Manager also does full cars if you zoom in enough. Uh, it, it Your only real options are to tell your drivers how hard to race. You know, you know, try to conserve your tires. Uh, drive pretty much standard or uh, really push it and uh, at the expense of your tires. And to pit in to change your tires. And that's about it. Everything else is kind of random. I had one race where my driver was about 20 seconds ahead. He randomly spins out for no reason whatsoever. Loses uh, the race by you know, about 10 seconds because uh, second place just drew uh, right past him. I had uh, several times where my car would break down, but it would really give me no indication about yeah why or yeah or could I Im- improve the uh, reliability more in the pits or you know if my driver is just pushing it too hard. It seems to be there's no repercussions about how the drivers are pushing their cars outside of just, you know, uh, your tires are wearing down a little bit faster. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, there, uh, there's, well, also speaking of the race screen, uh, it seems to have a, uh, system set up where it only updates the gap in between uh, you and the car ahead of you and the car behind of you at the end of each sector, which each sector is one-third of the lap. So, it's hard to tell at times if a car is slowly gaining on you, because you're only getting an update three times a lap. And these races are fairly short for the most part. They're usually in the ballpark of 10 to 20 laps, with the very, very short tracks like Indianapolis, which actually goes to Indianapolis, which is a little bit of a shock. That's at like a 40 lap race because it's such a short track but because of the low lap time or low uh, lap counts you're not given a lot of information and also the feed of what is going on in the race only updates periodically so it'll basically oh you've uh, overtaken whenever your car uh, just spun out and you know he's just falling back three uh, spaces but if you're not paying attention to that you wouldn't uh, be told ah uh, it's there's a lot of like and a lot of dislike about it. It's been a good time killer, you know, just something to mess with. And it is a free app, and there's actually no ads to it whatsoever. Uh, the 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 only monetization to this is a pay to essentially skip feature, where you're uh, able to just buy in for a larger amount of money, then you just pretty much negate the build up for each tier of race because as you go up through the championships uh you may have uh, been you know kicking ass in the uh in the britain tours where you know you have the top of the line car and everything is going great you go to the american tour which is the second tier you're back at the fucking pack again i mean completely there's no carryover whatsoever and honestly it's kind of a letdown to be able to uh, to or, or it's kind of a letdown to do that because you kind of want to just after finding that out, just hang out and dominate for a while and build up your uh, racing team. You know, there's a certain amount of money that you'll get from sponsorships. And if you build up too much without having a winning team, you'll slowly just hemorrhage money. Because uh, all the uh, 
upgrade to the headquarters costs a certain amount of money. All the uh, extra uh, crew costs so much money. Getting better drivers costs more money, unless you're just uh, getting them from the young drivers program, which they may not be the best, but they're also dirt cheap. Uh, upgrading your crew chiefs uh, costs money. And also, sometimes the sponsors are fucking uh, annoying. There was one time, uh, actually, I shouldn't say one time, there was more than one time, that the goal for the race was to win. All right? I get on okay. the podium, and the Twitter feed uh, has my sponsor call me a fucking loser, pretty much. Because I didn't beat their expectations. Sorry I didn't win. I got second. Is that not good enough? Why don't you go take that lemonade stand and cram it up your fucking ass? Yeah. In general, podium finishes are, you know, what everyone shoots for. If you get first, that's awesome. Yeah, but on on this, it's a a binary. You'll have a a set sponsor challenge for both your qualifying and your race. There's no practice. That's something else that's very annoying. I said there's no practice session. You only have the actual qualifying, which is one session, and you have the race. It'll give you a suggested setup for your car uh, based on your crew chief. But yeah, you know, that may be uh, great for that for your particular drivers because you may have a driver that is uh, better uh, handling uh, corners uh, with a different setup, and because you don't have any qual- uh, anything beyond the qualifying, which the qualifying is a ten minute session, ten or uh, eleven minute session, and you have to do the outlap, which uh, goes from pit goes around the track once. Then you do however many laps that you set the driver to run. And then you do an outlap, which is the driver, after finishing the lap, comes all the way back around the track and pits in. Well, because of how they handle the tires, you only really get one or two really good laps per setup. And especially on some of the longer tracks where it's a minute 30 to two minute uh, lap time. So that's a definite failing on the game. You do get to the point where you start to recognize, okay, this track, it's probably either uh, uh, aerodynamic set to uh, uh, neutral or straights, which is just less downforce or the medium amount of downforce, and either neutral or uh, top speed, depending on the uh, length of uh, uh, straightaway. So you could eventually start to eyeball it, but it's... There really should have been some sort of practice session, particularly with how different driver personalities uh, kind of act up. So I did some quick Googling while you were talking, and this is made by the same people who did. Okay, PC it, uh, it is, uh, because uh, because it's just it's, it's, it's just, it, well it's named Christian West uh, on uh, Google Play, and I wasn't sure, so yeah, I'd rather err on was, uh, it not being affiliated than uh, being affiliated and being wrong. So, what it is, is the mobile version is basically just a stripped-down, simplified version of the PC game. Uh, and they recently released... Yeah, there's a, a second version, which uh, looks like it's a more complex, but it's also a paid version. And uh, yeah. uh, There's this thing about a, a paying for a mobile game. Maybe, maybe it's just where I'm outside of the culture. It, not really a fault of the mobile game itself, but not uh, really having any sites to be able to parse uh, these uh, games or not having enough knowledge of the games themselves. I always kind of hesitate on buying a mobile game unless I am able to play it first. Yeah. So, 
I, I haven't found like a specific article that says this, but there's like, there's some speculation that a couple of people in like comments of stuff that I'm looking at are saying that the first version is a combination of a, an advertisement for the main game on PC and also sort of a, a test to see if how much interest there is on it. And they simplified it for mobile so that they wouldn't overwhelm people. I mean, and the second one is much closer to the PC version, but they made it paid yeah. so that people who are interested basically would be the ones who would be getting it. I mean, it's not a bad game. <clears throat> I may uh, go for the second one because I have like seven or eight bucks uh, just from uh, Google surveys. You know, the uh, Google Play surveys, they ask you every so often. It's like, yeah. uh, have you heard of Target? Yes. Here's a Dom. Yeah, I get those sometimes too. We re- uh, recently saw you were at the grocery store. Uh, did it suck? It did. Here's a quarter. But yeah, maybe I'll go for it. I don't know. It does look like it's a lot more complex and it looks like it actually has fuel. So yeah. Uh, cool. Is that it? Uh, did I, mean, I interrupt you before? Uh, you no, were- uh, that was. Oh, pretty much it. I was on my outlap anyway. It's not a bad game. Uh, it's definitely, uh, yeah, uh, with my appetite for mobile, uh, for motorsport manager, probably on PC instead of the mobile version. Uh, granted, I, they did have a free weekend at one point and I was, uh, just not able to, uh, sit down and play it. So it's something that's on my, it's been on my radar before and I saw it pop up on the Google Play store and it's like, well, I'll give it a shot. And it wasn't bad. I mean, the only monetization yeah. in it literally is a pay to skip feature for, it, or if you completely screw up, yeah, you know, uh, uh, be able to correct yourself. Granted, I'm not sure what happens when you run out of money because I've been very careful about that, especially uh, uh, whenever sponsors start to get a little bit mm, bitchy, and there is some sort of popularity uh, thing going on where. If you uh, get the uh, sponsors too happy, they uh, demand too much of you. But if you get them too upset, uh, they uh, start to be, well, bitchy even more. So you just found a happy medium. Yay, happy medium. Okie dokie. My turn. Uh, The next game on my list is The Ship Murder Party. We played this for stream night for a little bit. On Thursday, yeah, I just I, I, with- I was in the mood to play it, and I was also not feeling all that great, so I skipped uh, this week. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, but I mean, think the deadliest game if you ever read that. Or how about this? Uh, what uh, uh, was uh, this was stolen? Uh, or uh, this was the template for Assassin's Creed multiplayer? Yeah. Completely forgot about Assassin's Creed multiplayer, as I think most people have. Uh, <laughs> Probably for a good anyways, reason. <clears throat> anyways, you are on a ship or various other nautical-themed levels. There's like an island and uh, some kind of like re- tropical resort or something like that as one of the levels that you can play on. But uh, you're on a ship with, I think you can put up to 32 people in, I think. Are you saying you're on a boat? I'm on a boat and whatever because that song was stupid <laughs> but uh you're uh, the game starts or the, the match starts you're given a target to kill and the objective is to find and kill your target without getting caught by the um security staff on the ship or being killed by whoever it is that's targeting you uh and i don't think that you and your 
Mark are ever targeting each other. I'm not sure if that's specifically a thing, but I've played quite a bit, and I've never had the my target also be who's targeting me. So you wander around these big levels, and there's a lot of stuff to interact with. Um, you have needs. You have to eat, drink, sleep, go to the bathroom. Yeah, I was about to like say, that. don't forget to poop. Uh, and those provide sort of spots of vulnerability uh, for you to find your target and kill them. Yeah, p- because, catching people with your pants down. Yeah, because they have to go into like a room, like a bathroom to go to go pee. So you go in there behind them, close the door, then nobody can see you and you murder them. Uh, there's lots of other things that you can get on the ship. There's different weapons you can find and like lockers and bags and cabinets and stuff. Weapons, clothes, every time you change your outfit, it uh, resets your picture to uh, just like a black silhouette. So it's a little more difficult for people to find you because then they don't have the handy dandy picture to show you, show them what you look like until they interact with you and then it shows up what the person is. And that's pretty much all there is to it. Um, you can play solo with bots if you want, or you can use bots to fill out the the roster. It was just Cube and I actually that played uh, Jim, and I think someone else showed up, but they didn't have it, so they just talked to us and watched the stream while we played. Uh, so it was Cube and I, and I think I had ten bots in the match with us to you know fill out the level. And the bots are not very good. Um, you know, you, I mean, they can kill you for sure, but they're kind of dumb. You can find your target and just follow them until they walk into a room. Whereas you can't do that with a person because unless they're really unobservant, they'll notice that, oh, hey, that person just keeps following me. They, I might be their target. And if you preemptively kill someone before they attack you, nothing happens. If they've started attacking you and you manage to survive and kill your attacker, then uh, they're they're dead dead for that round and they can't come back and kill you like you still respawn and you can walk around the ship and take care of your needs and find new stuff for the next round but you lose your target if you get killed by your target after they've identified you but i mean you can randomly kill people too and it just pops up so and so has gone on a bloodlust but there's no penalty for randomly killing someone then that can actually be a good strategy to get extra money after you've killed your target because the goal is to get enough money to win the round and you get different amounts of money for using different weapons and certain weapons are worth more. And after you've used a weapon once it's value drops considerably until you kill a target with another weapon. So, uh, you know, guns are really easy to kill people with, but they have a low base value. Whereas if you kill someone with like, uh, a cane or an umbrella, you get a lot more money for doing that because yeah but you don't want to kill people with a cane too much because then you pinch out of shape and you know it becomes a lot tougher to walk with yes <laughs> um but uh whenever you kill people there's a chance that they'll drop a wallet with some money in it so after you've eliminated your target you can just go around killing other people and as long as you don't get caught and thrown in jail on the ship then you can keep making money. If you get caught trying to murder someone, you get sent to jail for a certain amount of time based on how many crimes you committed when you were caught. And the more weapons you have on you, the more crimes you've committed. Um, And also if you're caught in the act of trying to kill someone, you have an additional fine. And so they take money away from you and then you have to sit in jail. I think the maximum penalty to be in jail is 60 seconds. But the good thing about going to jail is that... uh, you can get all of your needs met in jail. So at least that time can be productive setting yourself up for when you get out of jail. Yeah, I saying they're so, pooping. 
Someone can get arrested and follow you into jail and kill you, but that's pretty counterproductive because they have to pay the penalty to go to jail, so that cuts into how much money they're going to make on the back end. So a little bit of risk-reward there. I mean, overall, it's a fun game. Uh, it's pretty much a dead game. The, there's a few people that have created public servers that still run, but... Um, yeah, I'm you know, looking at the, that, yeah, I'm looking at the Steam charts. 15 for... Uh, uh, eight minutes ago with a 24-hour peak of 16. Yeah, the subreddit occasionally, like, once a week to, you know, a couple times a month, organizes games for people to go onto the, you know, the existing servers and play. But in general, you have to use... Oh, well, the reason you have to do this is because something went weird when this game was acquired by a different developer and the code to run the in in-game server browser is fucked up and they say they can't fix it and they've done a remaster and the remasters works because it's i don't know legal stuff yeah but the older version the matchmaking doesn't work so you have to either use a program like evolve to uh set up a a lan or spoof a lan or you have to use one of the existing public servers or create your own public server so it's pretty much a dead game unless you have a bunch of friends who want to play it. But it's still really fun. I think I'm going to try and organize another night at some point in the future. Maybe give a... Once I get the new stream schedule put together, give people enough uh, lead time to actually get it installed and ready to go. Because it, it would be a lot of fun with a lot of people. Cube and I were having fun whenever we would get each other's targets or I'd randomly be like, that's definitely a person, not an NPC, and I'd kill him anyways. <laughs> And that, that's good. The banter is, is good. And that's, I mean, that's what makes the game the most fun, just the banter you have. Uh, I played it with Katie uh, last week sometime as well, and she really liked it. And we were each sitting here in the office, and she can see my desk, but I can't see hers just because the way they're set up in the office. I'm pretty sure she was cheating a few times. Like, the game has ways to help you find your target. Like, every, I think it's 15 seconds, you get an update on where they are or where they last were. And so you can track them down that way. But, I mean, Katie's not very good at video games. And so I don't think she would have figured out that system that fast. So I think she was she was cheating a little bit. But it's fine. We still had a good time. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, ship remastered. And it, it loses its uh, charm a little bit, I think. Uh, the uh, developers of the ship actually has another game of this sort of genre called Bloody Good Time. Have you ever heard of that one? No, I haven't. It's the same basic idea, but uh, you're on a movie set. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's also a dead game. I mean, it's more dead than the ship. So that should tell you something, but it seems to be a little bit more refined uh, gameplay-wise. But you have your deeds that you have to uh, handle. You have different characters that I'm pretty sure are just cosmetic. Uh, but, and it's also five bucks, so. Gotcha. But yep, that's the ship murder party. Fun game. Have to play it again sometime. Yeah, speaking of a game, well, I don't want to play it again, is Weakwood Throne. This, uh, is, it, well, it tries to reinvent the ARPG, and it does some things that are, uh, pretty bog standard. Then there's some other things that are just fucking infuriating. For one, let's talk color palette. Or shall I say okay. eye rape? 
Just go look at some of the screenshots. I mean, they, those are some bright, bright colors and some very contrasting colors. And it's very distracting. It has a, a day night cycle, but honestly, I never played it long enough to be able to get through the daylight cycle because, uh, the gameplay is just very, very clunky, particularly its dodge mechanic. The dodge mechanic, well, for one, it's not on our face button. It's on one of the triggers, which is odd to begin with. Not unprecedented, but odd. But this is a game that focuses a lot on dodging and movement. And they have both dodge and jump on, well, your mount, but it's a skateboard because... Actually, I have no idea why the fuck it's a skateboard, but go with me here. They have them both on the left trigger, on the on uh, the controller. If you tap it, you dodge. If you hold it for uh, a fraction of a second more, go through this long sequence where you're jumping on the skateboard and you're a setting fucking duck. And you will get hit if you're trying to dodge and you uh, start to jump on your skateboard. It's one of those things that it's very... If if I spent enough time with it, maybe I could get used to it. But then, okay, I died because I wasn't able to dodge correctly because I wasn't able to hit the dodge that yeah fraction of a second uh, that I'm supposed to hit it, but where there's a dodge instead of uh, you know I'm going to spend the next three or four seconds going through a long animation to jump on my skateboard, which I still don't know why I skateboard. So okay, I died. Yeah, you know, uh, have a trouble with dodge. That's pretty obvious. I'm gonna have trouble uh, being non-living impaired. I was at the starting town when I died. When I loaded up the game again, I was not at the starting town. I was at the next town with creatures that were way, way, way stronger than me, and I had no access to the starting quest anymore because I had no idea where the starting town was based on where I was now because the map system you know, didn't cover that. And that's when I pretty much put it down. <laughs> this sounds like a game that's no bueno. This is a game that could be fun if it uh, wasn't so fucking infuriating. There's also this odd thing where they handle it almost like a twin-stick shooter where your left stick... Uh, granted, I was playing with the DualShock controller, so maybe that's part of the reason why I was having trouble with the dodge because there's a certain amount of throw going from the uh, for the left trigger because it's a analog trigger and it pretty much had to be fully depressed to be able to register any of them oh yeah either trying to dodge or uh, uh, jump on the skateboard and that's the thing is that there's a it puts a unnecessary delay you know what I'm saying here yeah because face button yo tap it done there it's uh, a lot longer to be able to hit that trigger but it does this odd dual stick uh, uh, dual stick shooter like I was talking about where your movement is controlled by the left uh, um, stick and you're kind of aiming your attacks with the right and then you're hitting the uh, I'm, I think it's B for an attack but as you're attacking you're uh, stepping forward so you do this weird you know like lunge forward, then start backing up again if you're trying to, you know, uh, retreat from something. Once again, if I spent more time with it and it didn't fucking infuriate me with, uh, you know, knocking me out of the starting zone and 
not having any idea of how to get back to it. Uh, maybe I could have uh, stuck with it, but uh, you know, that's <laughs> how do you launch a game and have it do that? That's why I want to know. Uh, well, outside of being, you know, seem direct trash and probably with absolutely no quality assurance team whatsoever. No play testers. Little or, or lack of QA. Because, yeah, I mean, that was pretty much right after the tutorial. I died and because I just didn't have any health potions because there, no, it wasn't B to uh, attack. It was A because B drops your items. That is on a face button. And the thing is that, yep, typically A and B are, you know, your confirmation and, uh, uh, and drop is like on usually X or Y. That's pretty standard, right? Uh, I think so. I mean, it's not, you know, so easily to, easy to hit and absolutely no confirmation to drop your items. I'm not sure if I grabbed a health potion and I accidentally dropped it because it's so easy to drop items in this game or if I just never got them because, you know, I was weakened from having to deal with all the stuff in the tutorial, you know, some of which, yeah, you know, fighting on a very small island with uh, enemies that love to do charge attacks. That's going to hurt. <clears throat> Especially whenever you're not nailing the dodges because of, you know, an oddball mechanic. So I died and got teleported and, I mean, it wasn't like I was very far in the game. Yeah, it doesn't sound very good. I do, I, I do contrast what you said about the, everything's being too bright. I really like all the bright colors, but that's... It's distracting. I think... St- I could see that, and I think that's more subjective. Yeah. I also only have the screenshots to look at. There could be more egregious examples, but uh, I mean, uh, the screenshots on the Steam page do display some of that high contrast color. Yeah. Well, load up the uh, the screenshots into well pseudo full screen. Yeah. You know, click on them and uh, tell me that. Yeah, you know, that wouldn't be very rapey after a while. That is very bright. Although the screenshots have some dark stuff too. Well, that's the day night cycle. So. Uh, the second one is, I think, uh, about nighttime. Okay. And once it goes full nighttime, uh, it gets very, very, very dark. So you don't want to turn up your contrast because then you'll just get blinded during the day. Right. Makes sense. And also, maybe it's just as a pet peeve, <clears throat> or, or, or not really pet peeve, but, you know, a, a subjective thing. But also, uh, the game feels sort of un. Uh, not finished with all the hard edges on the islands, particularly that first screenshot. I mean, it looks like there should be some sort of, uh, you know, sort of wiggly coaster or something, but it's, you know, it's just a square island, literally. And that's part of the tutorial section. And that's uh, prevalent throughout the game. It's just, yeah, I see, I see what you it's mean. just sort of an unfinished look to things. Yo, know, they're probably just using a really simple, uh, Asset uh, engine designer asset set something like that because yeah. I've seen several games look like this but they tend to be puzzle games yeah uh, whether the square yeah yeah part of me th- part of me thinks that this is uh, some sort of asset flip I mean they I mean I should have uh, suspected something when well uh, are you on the store page form yeah okay click the developer uh, name uh, and look at their other game I should have expected not, uh, great quality. Waterks Melon. You, oh, YouTuber's Clicker? Yeah, I sure not expected uh, much uh, quality. But I gave him the benefit of the doubt. I gave him a shot. And it's just, it's very clunky. I'm not sure why there's so many positive uh, reviews on this game. 
But then again, a lot of these don't really have a lot of time on their, uh, on their, under their belt either. Granted, I don't either, but I didn't leave a review. I'm just bitching about them on a podcast. Some of these feel kind of jokey, like this one. Amazing, but amazing is spelled wrong. 2D RPG. Add kawaii 2D girls and the game will be perfect. Uh, this one is in, I think that's Russian. Not, so uh, that not as much uh, fun as Torchlight slash Diablo, but still a great game for ARPG lovers. 7 out of 10. Thumbs up with 1.1 hours played. I mean, part of this makes me feel like they, you know, all their friends are uh, uh, leaving reviews. Perhaps. I'm not going to spend a ton of time investing this, though. Yeah, I mean, I think, that, uh, I think we've already spent too much time on it already. Your turn. Alrighty. So my next game Yeah, I, is, I had a review copy of this one for a while. I just never played it. Is Don't Make Love. I got this from Keymailer. And this is an interesting little game. I initially requested the key because I was like, haha, schlocky game about... Actually, no. Praying Mantis sex because, you know, that's what... Yeah, it, you need to find a new fetish. Like. But uh, it's actually not. It's a really in-depth, interesting little conversational type game where that you can choose to be either the male or the female praying mantis. And in case you don't know, when praying manti mate, the female kills the male. Almost every time. Like 99.99999% of times. So you are whichever partner in this couple you choose to be, and you want to have sex, but... You love each other, so you don't want to die or kill your partner, depending on which one you pick. And you go through this set of conversational, or go through this conversation, and you have to type in your own answers. There's some simple responses like smile, frowny face, uh, sad face, angry face. What about penis? <laughs> hold hands, hug, and kiss. And sometimes those are the appropriate responses to make. Um,. But otherwise, you have to type out your responses. You can't just simply say yes or no to every single question because if you do that too many times, the other one will be like, you know, I'm getting upset that you're not actually talking to me. I don't feel like you're listening to me. So you have to actually type out longer words or sorry, not longer words, sentences. Um, And punctuation is important because you can say (laughs) the same thing with different punctuation and get a different response. Um I don't think that this is like in depth. I think it's just looking for keywords or certain phrases to give you a, a certain response. Um, and I'm sure it's somewhere. I only took five minutes to try and figure out if it was what it was, but I, I didn't find exactly how it was uh, matching this conversation. And you can steal, steer the conversation a lot of different ways. There's a bunch of different endings for each side and you get achievements for each one. Um, for example, you know, you can choose to, as you go through the conversation, eventually you can choose to have sex if you're the, the male praying mantis and then you get an ending. Like you don't see any ending like cutscene or picture or anything. It just ends and it says, you know, your conversation is complete. I wonder if it would have been different if you chose to say different things or something like that. And you can restart or switch to the other partner and go through it again. Uh, and I've gotten a bunch of different endings, but obviously I haven't gotten all the endings. It's a, a cute little in-depth game. The soundtrack is nice. Um, it's just fun. It's fun. And I, I mean, I wasn't expecting it. I didn't read anything about the game. I saw Don't Make Love, saw Two Mantises, and I was like, haha, this is going to be a silly, schlocky visual novel. And I was pleasantly surprised by a, a nice, in-depth conversational piece. You know what I'm more and scared it, about? 
that you what? actually found a decent visual novel. <clears throat> hey, you know, broken clocks right twice a day, right? Eh, unless it's painted orange. hey <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all there is to it. I, how much does it cost? Because, like I said, I got it from Keymailer. Okay, it's seven bucks. I don't know if it's worth seven bucks. Um, it's a sort of experimental type thing. Unless you're really trying to be a completionist and get all the achievements for all the conversational endings, you'll probably get an hour of enjoyment out of it. That's about what I got out of it. Um, it's definitely worth a couple of bucks just to throw to an experimental developer who designed something that I feel is pretty unique. I've never seen anything quite like this before. Um, yeah, I think this is their first game as well. If it is, it's a good first outing. Um, but I don't, I don't know if it's worth seven bucks. If you like that sort of experimental thing, I think it's definitely worth the seven bucks. If you're a little more curious, I'd wait for it to go on sale. Uh, it's saying here the historical lowest price was only like five fifty on the most recent Steam yeah, sale. But this much is a, of a discount, practically a, this is a fairly new game. It's come out in like the last six months, so probably by the summer sale it'll be fifty percent off or so. I think it'd be worth that, you know, like three fifty. Yeah, um, it, it was a cute little experience. Itchio trying to find more about them because it looks like uh, they're coming from Itchio, which hey, for one Steam Direct isn't a mistake. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's see. But it's a fun game. I, I just want to see if they made anything else. It looks like they have a few other things on Itchio, but honestly, nothing that really jumps out at me. This looks like their first real outing for something beyond just a very, very basic games. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, it's a good sort of first, I guess, real game. You know, something beyond just a, a learning project or, you know, a school uh, type ver- Beyond project. very, very basic uh, graphics and putting in, looks like, some effort into actual writing. Yeah. Yeah, it's cute. I like it. Okay, so my turn? Yep. All right, so we've talked about one of my uh, psychotic fucking hatreds. How about another one? How about uh, throwing me into a tutorial before I even start the game? Tactera uh, did this. Oh, this is the one I was talking about, what was it, two weeks ago? Uh, This came up and I was talking about this. Sorry, carry on. Uh, well, this is a VR title, but it uh, supports non-VR games uh, or uh, program or co- uh, computers. It's a program that has a VR mode, but it has a non-VR mode as well, at least in theory. This triggered some fucking uh, motion sickness in me like you wouldn't believe, mostly because of just how fish-eyed it is. I bar park this at about 120 to 130 F- uh, FOV, which is just absurd for a 16 by 9 monitor. Usually, That's wide. Yeah, usually I go somewhere between 90 to 100. So it was uh, doing some weird fish high stuff and it made it very uncomfortable to play to begin with. Second of all, because this is uh, made with a VR uh, in mind, uh, you are, well, it's essentially a swarm, uh, RTS game played on a virtual tabletop and you're sitting and, you know, clicking or I guess uh, waving around whatever, you know, motion controller you have to direct your troops. Pretty basic overall. But because of the VR uh, slant on it and because they don't 
put you in a place where you could go into the options and change things, the base camera <clears throat> is set way far back to the point where I couldn't read the text because it was all on the virtual tabletop. So I was having to kind of guess. It's like, okay, I think I can make out what that's reading if I sit and kind of squint and lean into the monitor. Not a good first impression for a game, I gotta admit. Uh, this shows me only having point one hours in. I know I played it longer than that. I think the Steam uh, hour counters uh, kind of screwed up uh, this week because I know the others. Yeah, I, it does that sometimes. I know the others. I spent more time with as well, but uh, it's uh, pretty much a bug standard uh, uh, swarm uh, RTS, and that you're trying to take over uh, different nodes with uh, and just swarm them with units. Granted, it may get more in depth later on. But because of the FOV, it was very hard for me to play because there was this just you know, fish shot going on. And even looking down at the virtual tabletop and trying to command things there, there was this kind of a swimming effect with just how the fish shot was going. And between that and the grid, it was just nauseating. Maybe it would be better with a headset. But since I don't have one, I can't really uh, say if it would be better or not. Uh, any questions so far? Uh, you said that you br- uh, you brought this up at some point. Uh, maybe it wasn't on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, we talking, yeah. This doesn't uh, seem familiar to me. I this was I I think I said that I had a VR game that I got the key for because I was trying to get my VR whatever mm-hmm. certified on Keymailer, and uh, I got this game and I hadn't played it, but I couldn't remember the name of it. I don't think, but I have this game and I intend to play it at some point. Um, but I haven't yet. Well, they throw you into the tutorial as soon as you boot it up, and you have no way to get to the options menu until uh, you actually uh, yeah, uh, complete the tutorial, which is a psychotic fucking hatred for me. I hate games that do that. Yeah, I do too. Because uh, usually the ones that do that are also the ones that read my resolution wrong. Granted, I don't think this one did, if memory serves correctly, but for some reason, I've had games that would just you know say, oh, you know, you look like you're doing... a little under 720p and here you go and yo uh, on the lcd screen that doesn't look good yeah i may as well take uh some of your uh ky jelly and just uh, spread it across the monitor because it's about as fuzzy <laughs> that'll give you a nice soft focus uh, so that's what you call it I, I mean maybe if you're looking for a you know this type of game in vr it would be all right uh with a headset maybe because you know, I'm guessing that the uh, field of view thing would be less of an issue, and I couldn't find a way to turn it down in-game, at least in the non-VR version. And I did do a little bit of research on the field of view of the of the different headsets, and it looked like they're not nearly as high as this. I don't know why this runs such a high field of view. It's just weird. I, I mean, you could kind of see... I mean, take a look at some of the screenshots. You could see the fisheye effect. Yeah. They might be... One of the things to help mitigate VR sickness is to have better peripheral vision. They might be trying to do something to simulate that. Yeah, but they really should not do that in the non-VR version. Yeah. I, I don't really... I just have to play it for myself to check it out, really. Because I don't have any questions that I think you could... An- I don't think you could answer for me. Like, I don't I don't mean that in a bad way. Just to, like, it's one of those things, like... Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty bog-standard uh, sort it. of... 
uh, sort of a swarm defense or swarm uh, RTS, not quite because it does a few different things. It has different upgrades and you're able to build up uh, your units, but there's a lot of uh, fiddliness to it because of, I, I presume that it's uh, meant to uh, be ran with the uh, VR controller. So, you know, a lot uh, more responsive and uh, doing more than one thing at once if you're getting good at it. Yeah. And this just doesn't handle it all that well with keyboard and mouse. Hey, I gave it a shot. And, uh, yeah. It uh, said that it was, didn't support or didn't require VR. It, you can play it without VR mode. I respectfully disagree. Maybe I'll check this out this week on purpose just to compare with you. Well, uh, I would suggest one thing bring a barf bag. I tend to not get motion sick. So. I don't either. Uh, there's uh, only a few games that it's really triggered it for me, and this was one of them. I mean, there's just something about, uh, yeah. Uh, well, other ones have been Overlord, which just how the camera kind of swayed, and actually that had a bit of a fisheye effect to it as well. And the original Bioshock uh, triggered it for me. And not nearly as bad as these, but, you know, it was enough to make me uncomfortable and not really want to play it. Yeah. I mean, motion sickness is definitely... Nothing to to laugh at. No, it's another dispute so, over. Hi-yo. Anyway, you're up. Right, so this is my last game, and I sort of bookended my two longer discussions to try and give my throat a rest. I'm not sure how well it's worked, but we will see. Well, considering I've heard uh, <laughs> every so often. Do, do, you, oh, I've, do you need a cough drop? I've muted, I've muted my mic a few times so that you wouldn't hear. Well, speaking of cough drops, I think I'm going to have another. Right, you enjoy that. Uh, so Lost Odyssey. I think you did Lost more than Odyssey, I do, though. <laughs> Lost Odyssey was released in the mid 2000s to 2007, 2008, depending on which region you were in, uh, as an Xbox 360 exclusive JRPG. This was designed uh, to be, or designed as an attempt to push more Xbox consoles in Japan. Um, yeah, that really worked out for them. But I think it only sold 100,000 copies or something like that in Japan. It sold more than that in the U.S., but not enough to uh, garner a sequel, which is really sad because I'm about to make a bold claim. I think Lost Odyssey is the best traditional JRPG in existence. It sort of came out uh, around that time when the sort of, I guess you could say, the JRPG leader, Final Fantasy, was making changes because... It came out between Final Fantasy twelve and thirteen, I believe. Uh, Final Fantasy eleven was um, an MMO. Final Fantasy ten was really the last, or the ten line was the last traditional JRPG, which is strictly turn-based combat, as opposed to uh, pseudo RTS, uh, real time. It's, it's uh, hard to really uh, nail down what Final Fantasy is combat-wise. MMO combat, right? Uh, sort of, but Final Fantasy Thirteen is automatic combat, and you basically just sort of give general suggestions for your people to, to do things in battle. And it's in real time. There's no turn-based part to it. Everyone you mean just 12? as soon as they're... Uh, the well, single yeah, player? Final... Yeah, okay. right, sorry, Final Fantasy XII. Uh, uh, that, that's and, why I was well, a little and confused. And also 13. Final Fantasy Twelve, and then Final Fantasy Thirteen took that a little bit more to the extreme. Um, and then Final Fantasy Fourteen was another MMO. Yeah, fifteen. Final is Fantasy the... fifteen is just like an ARPG, basically. 
or an action RPG. Uh, well, a boy band ARPG. Yeah, but I still want it for the boy band. But anyways, I, I still need to go back uh, and play Final Fantasy XII at some point. I have an actual copy of it. No, no piracy involved. No emulation involved. Nice. It's just uh, I never you know, sit down and played it. But Lost Odyssey came out between Final Fantasy ten and twelve, around the same time as Final Fantasy XI, I believe. But you know, Final Fantasy XI was an MMO, so that's yeah. I'm looking at the and a completely different thing. Um, it was developed by the original creator of the Final Fantasy series. He wrote and directed the game, and it's got the original composer for the Final Fantasy series who put together the music. So the story is very Final Fantasy, but it feels like sort of, I don't know, the grandest evolution that old school Final Fantasy storytelling could be. Like, it's more and bigger and weirder and spikier. in a JRPG sense. The music is amazing. Um, orchest- there's nice orchestral tracks. There's rock break-ins for certain aspects. You know, a lot of there's some J-pop in there too. Amazing soundtrack. It's got an excellent turn-based combat system that doesn't have too many weird gimmicks. There's one, and then there's a couple things that it does really well, which I'll get to in a minute. The weird gimmick that it does in the combat system, like that makes it any um, amount active is you hold right trigger to like time your attacks. If you're doing physical attack or a, a physical attack and the closer you get to like the center of the ring, the more damage you do and you have a higher chance to do bonus effects that your weapons can have. And that's it. You can honestly ignore it most of the time if you don't feel like doing it. Uh, and it doesn't make too much of a difference aside from the additional critical hit chance. Um, it's got a really simple sort of old school inventory management instead of having like 40 different things that you can equip and manipulate you have weapon um bonus like item that has an effect um on combat or your health or something like that and then you can equip um not armor something else that affects your defense i forget what it's called it's got like a special in-game name and that's it for that's it for item customization. Where the game really shines is its its skill customization system. So the gist, without spoiling the story too much, is that you play as an immortal character. Like, your, your person is immortal, and there's a few other people in the game who are immortals. And you're trying immortals, to kill each other. No, you're not. You're all trying to work together to solve a problem. But the immortals can't learn skills in the traditional sense like the non-mortal characters can so you have to have or like the mortal characters so you have to have the immortal characters in a battle with the mortal character and you have what's called a skill link and as long as both characters survive the battle you get points towards learning a new skill that the different mortal characters have which is can be kind of annoying but it's a neat little thing that helps you mix and match your party so that everybody stays at pretty close to the same experience level because the game does do that JRPG thing that it does where it splits you up at certain points. And if you have an underdeveloped character, you're pretty fucked. Um, it also, but the immortal characters, they can't actually die in battle, which is really interesting. So they can get knocked out and they're down for a turn, but then they self revive because they're immortal. So they can't die. So they use that really well. That can be a good part of the strategy for how you do battles. Um, I mean, if everyone gets knocked out at once, you lose. But you never have to worry about reviving an immortal character with, you know, your this game's equivalent of the Phoenix Down. 
which I think that's really a neat addition to combat. And it lets you be a little bit more risky. You don't have to worry quite so much about healing everybody all the time. You can focus on other buffs or debuffs or things like that with your support characters. Uh, it also goes back to that era of the old school JRPGs where they have the pre-rendered cutscenes because, you know, game engines weren't as good as they are now. So, I mean, the game itself looks all right. I mean, it looks like a mid-2000s game that had some higher production value put into it, but the those cutscenes are beautiful, gorgeous cutscenes that remind me of, like, the contrast in, like, Final Fantasy VIII with the ballroom scene or some of the stuff in, like, Final Fantasy IX and X. Um, really well done. The opening is amazing, too. It's got a really great intro that really sucks you in, and um, it... I can't remember if it tells you right off the bat that you're immortal or not, but the opening first 15 minutes really give you a sense that your character is something special and way more powerful than everyone around them because you're fighting essentially an entire army by yourself and they can't kill you. And you find out later that like they do this by starting you off at level 10 and all the other enemies are at level one, which was, I thought was a pretty cool way to do that. Um, but great cutscenes, great story. Uh, the voice acting in English is a little bit rough. Um, I mean, the best way to play these games is in Japanese with English subtitles, which this game has. But and the original Klingon. Yes, but just for comparison, I, I did it and uh, listened to some of the game with the English actors. And I mean, you know, they're trying. Some of them are all right. Some of them are not. Um, the main bad, bad guys probably got the most comical voice actor from all the main characters. But... Uh, it does have some beautiful storytelling moments. Uh, there's one that made me uh, sob more than I did when playing To the Moon. Like I was, I was ugly crying. There were there were sobbing noises, not just a stream of tears going down my face. Did it involve it two pla- uh, praying mantises? It did not involve two praying mantises. Now, uh, there's some scenes that make you really mad. Uh, characters being mistreated. Um, that they shouldn't be, but they play with your emotions quite a bit. There's some other really touching scenes, some other scenes that um, make you sad, or they do a couple of genuinely good scary horror bits, like top-notch storytelling. Uh, It's a JRPG, so it's really fucking long. Um, I looked up online to see how far I was, because this is a digital copy, so there's no disc swapping or anything, and I've been playing this so far for about 30 hours, and I'm only on disc two. Wow. Um, the game starts out pretty linearly, but within the first six or eight hours, you get, um, the token vehicle, which lets you drive around a portion of the world, which opens it up a lot. Uh, and then there's another vehicle you get later that lets you drive around the entire world. So it it does open up, but it starts you off on a pretty linear path. Uh, it does have an annoying quality, probably the worst part of the game. Uh, and the worst part about traditional JRPGs is you can't save wherever you want. You have to get to save points. And there have been a couple of times when I wish the save points were much, much closer. Um, in areas where there's going to be a lot of fighting, it is generous enough for the save points. So if you lose, you don't lose too much progress. Uh, if you do lose a boss battle, you can just restart the battle. Um, it, it does have a checkpointing system for that. But uh, in general, if you get killed... You have to go back to your last save point, wherever that is. So in combat zones, it's a little bit more generous. But in stuff where there's huge swaths of story, 
it can save points can be few and far between. I told you about a time where I went two hours between save points because the entire thing was story stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, just wandering around from area to area, doing a couple of sort of side quests to progress the story. But they were like, go find this or go talk to this person and then just cut scenes. So that can be a bit frustrating, but that's only happened twice in 30 hours. And for a JRPG, that's not too bad. Um, you know, if, if you're not into this sort of game, that might ruin it for you. But people who enjoy JRPGs, I think, have a higher tolerance for that sort of stuff just because they're used to it. Uh, on top of that, I can't really say too much more without spoiling it. I think we talked about a, a topic, which I don't think we've brought up on the general topics or, you know, we've talked about on air. Mm-hmm. But I think this game is going to be part of that All right. um, as, as one of my one of my things. I, I want to finish it to make sure that the story doesn't fall apart towards the end. Because JRPGs, typically you play those for anywhere between 40 and 80 hours. I'm thinking this one's going to be probably close to 80 or 100 hours long. And if they really fuck it up at the end, then that can ruin that whole experience. So I want to get all the way through the game before I say yay or nay. But I really do think, based on both what I remember from playing this years ago, uh, I played it when it first came out because of the trailer or the, the TV commercial they had for it is a really good commercial. You should go look that up on YouTube. The Lost Odyssey TV spot. Excellent. But uh, from what I remember from playing it years ago and my experience with it, again, still holding up to sort of the haze or the lens of nostalgia, I think that this is the best traditional JRPG in existence because it was made right at the tail end of traditional RPGs. So it's got a culmination of at this point, 10, 15 years worth of development into this type of game. And it was sort of the swan song for the, for the genre at the time. Really, really good. I think everybody should play it. If you can get a copy, unfortunately, there's no emulator for it on PC. Yeah. The 360 never really got an emulator at least yet. There is work on it. Yeah. Um, if you do have access to an Xbox One from somewhere, you can play it. Um, Xbox One, this game is backwards compatible on it, and it's available from the digital marketplace. You can pick up a physical copy somewhere pretty cheap. Uh, this game has not maintained great value over the years in terms of you know monetary-wise. It's just sort of a weird, obscure thing. So you can pick up a copy really cheap on eBay. And if you have an ac- access to an Xbox 360 or an Xbox One, and you like this type of game, play it. You will enjoy it. It is an excellent JRPG. And that's, yeah, that's about all I can say about it with it just without just spoiling everything. All right, so should we uh, quickly move along because we're running long? Uh, yes, we are. Although, taking into account, we bantered for a bit before we got to games. Probably hit 90 to 100 minutes for Game Talk. Um, but yeah, we can quickly move yeah, along. Yeah, let's mosey to... Well, uh, pitch a game? Yeah, let's do pitch a game. Uh, you go first and give me a chance to drink some water and rest my voice. And just hack up your lung. So, yeah, uh, I have a lot of uh, various choices on my game list. And I had one that kind of stood out to me. This was uh, kind of inspired by, well, a few MMOs have shut down uh, uh, over the years. I want another superhero game. But a more sandboxy open world Sort of how uh, City of Heroes was. I never got to play City of Heroes, but 
there's been a lot of that ilk that's kind of just fallen by the wayside, and we don't really see superhero games outside of just licensed games. What I want is a great a superhero game uh, with a uh, fictional city sandbox. For the most part, they you could have your story uh, moments as well. But my idea about it is you start off as a low-level hero, you know, a very underpowered hero. And as you go around doing uh, uh, good, you uh, slowly build up your power and build out your power set. And I want to lovingly steal the nemesis system. So as you defeat uh, villains, you know, you know, very cheesy villains, let's go complete camp with this. Which I'm sure just sold this to you, right? Oh, I was already sold before <laughs> then. I actually played City of Heroes. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, full camp uh, is a possibility. You know, have it where, you know, it can be serious, but you could also have your campy uh, uh, hero and uh, powers as well. But as you uh, defeat uh, villains, it's a sort of a reverse nemesis system where instead of, you know, dying to... Uh, you know, become a nemesis, uh, or, you know, seeing them power up, you're the nemesis to all of them. So you're seeing them try to improve and them inviting to try to become your rival with uh, various story missions as well, which your, you know, your rival or rival at the time, uh, uh, shows up and tries to destroy the city and, you know, that sort of thing. You know, typical comic book stuff, but have it where it's, you know, more character-driven. And, and that may be a, a little bit beyond the current technology or the effort from uh, some devs. But it's, uh, it's something that we haven't really seen a lot lately is just the superhero genre in general. And usually they are licensed games. So this is something that could be a unlicensed game and just have it where you know, you're out you know, doing your thing. And Maybe have an expansion where it's flipped on its head and you're the villain. Well, there was a city of villains, so... But uh, I was trying to think of a good game that could use the Nemesis system without, you know, just being a direct copy of the Nemesis system. And my first thought was some sort of superhero game with your rogues gallery. I was going to say that makes perfect sense because most super superheroes have a rogues gallery. You've got your occasional, like, Wonder Woman who doesn't have very many because she kills all of the bad guys. Which, smart idea, Wonder Woman. But most superheroes have a rogues gallery, so that's a really good game idea. Also, just a quick aside about the Nemesis system. I can't believe we haven't seen that in more games. Yeah, maybe it's, uh, uh, maybe it's some sort of trademark that we don't know about, or it's just a bitch to program. I was going to say, it might be a trademark thing, but still, I mean, Warner Brothers publishes other games that they could license the license it to, I imagine. Yeah, I was just but trying yeah, to think also, of a, yeah, something to use with the Nemesis system that isn't just loot box heavy. And I, I'm just uh, seeing this as, you know, uh, you know build out your uh, costume, build out your powers uh, as you uh, do things. Maybe there's some sort of association or something that, or, you know, you could join different hero groups uh, to try to, you know, uh, specialize in a particular type of crime. <laughs> or, hell, yeah. even have a co-op, you know. Uh, where you know, you have your hero and the sidekick. <laughs> that would be awesome. I've 
I've always seen myself as a sidekick instead of a hero, just because, like, plucky sidekicks and one-liners La- and stuff uh, like level, that. Lovable decoy? Yeah. <laughs> Plus, I like to play support roles in, in lots of different types of games, and sidekick is always support role. They're always back. And I'm also seeing, uh, if this is done well, have it where various powers can play off of one another. You know, sort of how Devandi does the different elementals. Yeah. And have it do uh, do it with that. So, you know, uh, someone that has a wind breath, for example, uh, uh, yeah, breathe, uh, yeah, project fire into it and you have a firing tor- uh, fiery tornado. Grand, that would probably be a little bit more lethal than most heroes would want, but you could also have it where you could be an anti hero. Like the Punisher. Mm-hmm. Or Deadpool. <laughs> yeah, or Deadpool. That's a really good idea. I like it. Is, is that all of your Yeah, pretty game much. Pitch? Well, we are just... Uh, our cycles have synced up today. Uh-oh. Because my game I'm pitching is also a superhero game. Uh, but this is a horror game. So, think of Batman. Batman is the Dark Knight. He moves through the shadows, surprises his enemies. Well, this is a horror game where you play the bad guys. And you're trying to complete whatever your evil scheme is. You're, you're a henchman, not one of the main bad guys. So you're a guy on the ground. And Batman is coming to try and stop you. And so you are trying to hide from Batman and complete your objective. And he's, you know, he sneaking around through vents, uh, sneaking up on your fellow henchmen and, you know, beating them up, taking them down, that sort of thing. Uh, did you ever look at the multiplayer for uh, Batman Arkham Origins? No. You're, you're pretty much describing it. Well, I want it to be a game that's more like, uh, what was the alien horror, alien isolation? Yeah. Well, well, uh, well, and, well, let, let me, uh, tell you about, uh, this and we'll see if it, uh, how close it matches. Uh, it's, it, there's three factions, all right? Uh, there's uh, two bad guy factions that are uh, trying to fight one another, which is, uh, pretty much a standard, I think it's a shooter, but then there's Batman and Robin who are off on their own. They're against the other two, and yeah, they're using stealth and uh, uh, just uh, surprise tactics to uh, be able to disrupt things and prevent both sides from uh, achieving their goals. Granted, not as horror-focused uh, uh, as yours, but uh, the same basic idea, I think. Granted, it didn't, it, it didn't do all that well because it's a tactile multiplayer to a... Uh, a single-player Batman game that didn't do all that well, honestly, because Ar- Arkham Origins was kind of panned for a while. Yeah, my idea is similar, but it's purely single-player um, and a lot more focused on one location and one sort of objective, like one of the bad guy's lairs. I'm not a big Batman fan, so I don't know tons of bad guy villains beyond, like, the Joker and Two-Face and the Riddler, but I know he's got a lot, Yeah, so... Uh, a sort of bad guy base and Batman is trying to stop some kind of Sinister's plot and you're just a guard or, you know, maybe like one of the higher up henchmen so that you're not just like on the first floor and you get taken out and then that's the end of the game. But you have to try and capture or kill Batman, prevent them, prevent Batman from stopping you. And it's, you know, very horror focused, like alien isolation, because I mean, some of the, especially in like, the the comics and the animated series, as opposed to even like uh, the Christopher Nolan Batman, which is the darkest we've ever seen Batman on camera. Like in comics and in 
the animated series that I, that I know of, Batman is really terrifying. Uh, you get plenty of scenes and shots where he's like stalking people and, um, you know, Batman is fairly non-lethal. There are instances in the comics and in the animated series where he has killed before, but I mean, obviously big, Batman's biggest thing is he doesn't kill unless it's like no other option. I'm sorry, but, but I, he, I, this entire time I'm thinking bad, a bit old Batman. Have you ever seen that? No, I don't think so. Oh, I'm going to have to link to you that uh, later. <laughs> Wait, I think I have seen that. Music, it's a music yeah. video thing, right? Yeah, I have seen okay. that. But anyways, so, you know, I mean, in the comics and in the animated series, Batman can be incredibly dark with stalking and using his gadgets to freak people out, um, using his sort of deep i my voice is too screwed up i probably couldn't do a deep batman voice I'm batman. Using, his deep, using his deep batman voice to terrify the shit out of people that's what i'm thinking and you know batman jumps out and it's like oh jesus can i fight him off for a second and get away or is he gonna cap quick sort yourself got... <laughs> yeah and then it's over so that is my idea and actually that was the idea for that originally prompted me to come up with the idea for pitch a game so that's actually my last idea on my list. I need to make some more ideas. I only have about a dozen more. But yeah, Batman horror game. Very underutilized portion of Batman. Because most Batman games tend to focus on him punching and kicking people. Mostly because of the Arkham series. Yeah, or you know, uh, uh, jumping around uh, 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 like crazy and uh, punching people one at a time. In a combo. Yep. Until there's that... Uh, little bastard the electric knife c -c -c combo breaker so, sure so sh uh, let's uh, skip the general topic because we are going to run out of time I think oh alright I'm good no you're not because you're you that's right so I'm awesome you know, uh, being delusional must be very useful these days it really helps keep me sane that I'm so delusional Either that or you just need to, you know, uh, pull a cow and just be drunk. Speaking of cow. What? <laughs> that's one uh, way nice. to lead to the community corner. Yeah, make sure that he never Indeed. writes in again. <laughs> Indeed. Well, he didn't write in this week, so. Uh, he had a tweet. Uh, well. Yeah, tw uh, Kyle tweeted us a uh, cyanide and happiness uh, comic. This is how you earn the title of professional drinker. And uh, did you see uh, the comic that he linked? Yep, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think he's uh, trying to get a title. Let's see. Uh, Jim uh, chimed in with, they need to get the people who made Kung Fury to make the Duke Nukem movie. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. And that's what happens when I laugh. Although I'll be editing that out so I don't ear rape people, but what? coughing. You got the ear rape. And no, it wasn't good for me. Let's see. Ghost Shark. Uh, taking votes on the first uh, story game I want to stream uh, for uh, when I have time to do so. I think this uh, <laughs> the poll is actually closed by now, but I wanted to cover it anyway. You got a 50 50 between some, uh, something else, as in, you know, something that wasn't on his list, and I think Minecraft story mode. So, you know, better luck next time we go shark, right? Nice. That's a good reminder for me to talk about streams later when I talk about stuff on my channel. And let's see. And Chemist chimed in. This was uh, a couple weeks ago, but we ended up skipping the community corridor last week because we had a hard cutoff like we do this week. 
and uh, did a very cut down show. Uh, Chemist, uh, remember me struggling with Aria? Well, uh, here's me beating uh, Noctura, something, Melody, and uh, Aria all in the same run. Just under 90 minutes with Crypto the Decker Dancer. I need to play that at some point. He sent it to me for Christmas last year. And I downloaded it. I just never loaded it up. Which uh, tends to be a problem with me for games. Because I'll uh, you know, intend to play it. And you know, I tend to play a lot of games. Indeed. Uh, yeah, that was all the tweets. And if you still tweet us... VGL podcast on the Twitter, or if you wish to scare the hell out of the malls that have been infesting our mailbag, VGL podcast at gmail.com. Awesome. See, I remembered it this time. Well done. Alrighty. So, time to do the doobly do over on Discovery Q. Oh, that's terrible. Theme song. <laughs> Even even by your standards. And I got one pretty much right away. Since we were talking JRPGs earlier, I got Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age. This is one I have no idea how good it is, because... <gasps> Did they release that on PC? Yep. To get port? Oh, I actually quite enjoyed Final Fantasy XII. Yeah, for some reason, the title is... There we go. The, now it's titled copied. Uh, it is running to Nuvo, so that's a strike against it if you care about that sort of thing. It's running 60 FPS, though. Uh, it looks like it's a pretty decent remaster. There's, yeah, of course, some people disliking it, but, uh, you know, it's Final Fantasy XII. I don't really know a lot about XII because I haven't played the original game. But, you know, this is something I'll probably get at some point. Final Fantasy XII is, I think, a good it's, introduction to the to modern Final Fantasy if you've never played a JRPG before. It has a mix of traditional elements and modern elements. There's still a good chunk of the turn-based combat system. It's not 100% automated like it is in 13 and beyond. Um, but it's simplified compared to previous Final Fantasy games, so new players could get into it. It also has a lot less random battles because it's the first Final Fantasy game where you could see the enemies on the map. And for the most part, you could avoid combat if you wanted to. There were certain areas that had random monster instances, but in general, you saw all the enemies on the map. So... It's a good introduction, and it's not the best Final Fantasy Yeah, game. I know it does have a it's very slow worst. start. That's why I just never got into it. Yeah. But it uh, yo, could be... Uh, uh, it's going to be something I'm going to play at some point. Maybe I'll just have to load it up on the emulator instead of digging up my copy, but... You know. Yeah, that's true. You can emulate the original PS2 release for free. So. Yarg. So do you That'd have be one? a good place to check it out. No, so far not. Oh, I got another one. I got distracted talking about Final Fantasy. I've only looked at two games. Well, uh, this is my second game. Freeman Guerrilla Warfare. This is a mixture of, uh, of uh, a strategy game and first-person shooter. Uh, this has been done a few times. Uh, this is an early access game, and it looks like it has some uh, people complaining about lack of content. So, uh, But uh, FPS, uh, it says sandbox strategy. I'm assuming this is RTS, though based on you know, it being you know, a first-person shooter. Looks interesting, though. Yeah, it, it popped up on mine, too, just now, after I finished coughing. I mean, granted, uh, you know, it has random YouTuber in uh, the trailer, which is a uh, yeah, mark against it, but... Not necessarily a good sign, but not necessarily a bad sign, mm -hmm. either. 
At least I think that's some sort of YouTuber. That's just become sort of an industry trend. That needs to burn in hell. It's not my favorite, but, you know, if I had to pick random YouTuber or streamer advertising your game versus, say, oh, microtransactions, I'd pick YouTuber every time. True. I mean, it doesn't look too bad overall. All right, let's see. How long is it going to be in early access? Let's see, six uh, main areas. They're, they're working on a day-night cycle, which could be interesting. Uh, unique squads. Uh, they're planning on staying in early access at least till the end of the year, so plenty of time to cook. That's actually encouraging to see. Uh, spend that t uh, long. And I, my third game is another one. Do you have one? Um, maybe. Yeah, this looks good. Uh, this is like <laughs> this is the ninth game on my list. I finally got one worth talking about. Death or Cress. Well, put it down. I'll Pop a link over. I scroll to the right place on the notes. I keep going. Scroll, up scroll, and down scroll, scroll. Because I'm making cough notes at the bottom. Death or Cress. This looks like uh, some sort of action RPG, uh, sci-fi themed, where that you are escorting settlers to colonize a world. Um, it looks pretty rough, but it's in early access right now. And it just came into early access. Like, it it released into early access today. Um, I'm not sure if that's just weird camera angles or if it also has some sort of strategy element to it. But I kind of like, like the idea of this. Um, looks like it's in Unity, so that could be a plus or a minus. Yeah, it really uh, depends on assets. If, whenever you load it up, it has a generic uh, a Unity launcher. I mean, that's always a bad mark in my, <laughs> in my books. Yeah, and it's just got, like, Unity advertise on the, the page, so I don't know if it's using the free version of Unity that requires that or not. Um, it looks like it's using assets, but they seem to be themed together, at least at what they're showing, which would indicate that it might not necessarily be an asset flip. It also looks like there's some crafting to it as well maybe like you're building the colony i'm not sure about this because it, it uh uh current state of the game the current state of the early access version includes one of the two plain main characters the beginning of the whole story got uh, of the game and the gameplay of about 20 to 30 minutes depending on the player's skill and they're playing on two to three months of uh early access that's a bad sign yeah we'll see i like the look of it and this will be something that I watch just because I'm a sucker for sci-fi and a sucker for survival crafting uh, type stuff. So Let's be perfectly honest. You're just a sucker. <laughs> Depends on what I'm sucking. Oh, my. Oh, thanks. You put the title up there for me. I was going to come back and do that. Uh, well, uh, I got my third game out of three, so I'm three for three right now. We were here, too. This is a sequel to... or Is this a sequel or a reimagining of the original we were here it's which is a free-to-play uh, uh cooperative game this is asymmetric uh co-op as in well uh, the original is has one guy that's out exploring the mansion and the other one that is trapped in a pseudo library that's able to search through the books and look at the different maps to try to help the person that's out in the mansion solve the puzzles and this is a refinement and expansion on that game and uh, we were here is uh, actually on our co-op list, so this is going to be one to keep an eye on. 
uh, see how it does because it's not in early access. It's a, it's a full release right now. All right, but there's some mixed results. There's some people that don't like it. There's some that do. I need to do some more research on this one. But it looks fucking beautiful, doesn't it? Very uh, artistic, huh? Yeah. I'm not sure what to really call that art style. Uh, well, I mean, it's very... I mean, it's obviously gothic. Yeah. But it's got sort of a, an airbrushed cartoon look to mm-hmm. it. But it's not, like, cel-shaded. Well, it's very dark and As- brooding, I think, is uh, what really comes off. Yeah, I think that this might just be, like, the lighting that they've chosen to use. Mm-hmm. Because it looks... For lack of a better word, standard. Yeah, but the lighting yeah, is maybe. Giving yeah, it. maybe it is the lighting because that's something that a lot of games kind of negate or not really negates not the proper word. Uh, kind of overlooked. Well, I was going to say overlook, but neglect. Uh, it's just okay. yeah, how much lighting could really make a game look a lot better, even if it's not exactly a graphical powerhouse. So yeah, we were uh, here too, and yeah. That's going to be one, I think, for us to play at some point. I'd be down. Uh, you um, have another one? Yep, I've got one. Another Lost Phone. This is the sequel to A Lost Phone. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, you, in, in the game, you find a phone that is someone else's that they've left, and it's unlocked, and you can go into it, and you can explore all of their apps, their messages, social media, work-related stuff. Uh, and there's a lot of things that you can do with it. For example, you can choose to respond to messages and emails that you get. You can try and... If I remember correctly from the first game, you can try and find the person to get their phone back to them. You can screw with them. Um, it's sort of more of a an experiential type game. There's not a ton of gameplay to it aside from just like seeing what you can do whenever you respond to characters or whatever but it's really interesting to try and figure out the type of person that they've created in here it's just a fun little experiential game it's not very expensive either it's only three bucks you can get both of them the the first and the second one for five bucks but it's the first one was a cute fun game and supposedly this one has more interaction than the first one so that would be nice make it a little bit more of a game and a little bit less of just uh uh, i don't know like a mobile walking simulator i guess an experience um so yeah well i picked up another one (laughs) So, uh, real quick, that was the last game on my list. Do you want me to start another list? Uh, how do you feel? Because you have two. And, I, uh, and I'm only about halfway through my queue, and I, uh, I'm up, I got a good queue this week. Okay, I'll start another queue. Okay, my next one is Total War Saga Thrones of Britannia. This is a Total War game, and I, I really like the Total War games. It's just, I don't have the... Uh, CPU to really play any of the modern ones. And this is a historical, uh, well, I mean, all of them have been historical, but this is a more focused about early Britain. And I think this may actually be the earliest uh, Total War game we've seen histor- history wise. Uh, yeah, throwing out uh, Total Warhammer, of course. This is uh, 1871, or sorry, 871, not 18, 871, 18. Okay. Uh, that might be uh, how. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, games. that's what I was about to say. I'm not sure when Rome is. It, it may be slightly earlier, but but I mean, it's a modern total war game. Uh, well, modern as in you know, 
new uh, Total War game about Viking invasion of uh, Britain. I mean, do you need anything else there? <laughs> uh, boobs. Although, if it's the Viking invasion, there's going to be a lot of rape and pillaging. There'll be boobs involved. Nope, I'm good. Yeah, so Total War Thrones, uh, Total War Saga, sorry, uh, Thrones of Britannia. And this is the first in sort of a mini series of them doing a more focused historical uh, uh, slice. Granted, yeah, Rome and, yeah, uh, uh, Shogun, they are typically a, a, a slice of history, but this is a more focused on a particular point. And this is just, you know, Britain uh, fighting off the uh, invading Vikings. And I got another one immediately. <laughs> I got like that. Keep going. Okay, so how do you feel about sandbox vehicle builders? I love sandbox. How about trail uh, makers? Okay. This is a sandbox vehicle builder with multiplayer in it. Actually, it doesn't look that bad. Uh, Pretty much Lego style as you would expect with these type of games. Uh, Very cartoony art style with. They actually have. What is that? Some sort of dodo slash turtle animal? <laughs> uh, uh, screen third uh, screenshot. Oh yeah, interesting. That does look like a cross between a dodo and a turtle, or maybe a dodo and a triceratops because it's got like a horn on its face and a couple of spikes on its back. But yeah, it looks like it released into early access just a few days ago. I mean, I've picked up a few of these vehicle builders and. Uh, they're usually pretty fun. It's uh, with this being a focus on multiplayer, though. That's interesting. Looks like they already have a good variety of uh, vehicles available, just based on the screenshots. Yeah, of types of stuff to build. Which that's really the bread and butter of these games. It's just what you can build. <clears throat> but it's also going to be down to you know just how much uh, effort you're going to put into. Uh, making your own content because this looks like it's going to be sandbox at least for the time being I'm reading through the early access blurb uh, let's see they want to release the 1.0 sometime this year uh, with some sort of adventure mode as well so that's actually promising so there'll be some sort of content I mean, it's one to keep an eye on indeed I got one I went through an entire second list and I'm halfway through a third list and I finally got another one uh, Salem Witch Trial Murder Mystery. This looks like a choose your own adventure game set during the Salem Witch Trials. It says that you're trying to discover, investigate, and discover the secrets of what happened to a family who is murdered by who they think is a twit, a witch. Well, well, they could just try to build a bridge out of her. <laughs> so I am getting a ton of hidden object and horror games. And I don't like either of those, so I just keep hitting skip. Yeah, what did you do to get uh, an object? No clue. Um, maybe the wolf among us triggered that, and because I've, you know, Discovery queued many, many, many more games than you have, because at one point I had Discovery queued every single game that's on Steam. It's just like, ah, uh, hidden object. That's like in the same ballpark, right? Here you go. Okay, so I got another one. Uh, this one has some mixed reviews, but uh, what the hell. Uh, Pixel Shopkeeper. This is a shop management game uh, with some uh, inventory puzzle management uh, thrown in for good measure. Interesting uh, yeah, pixel art art style. Uh, the inventory management, I think, is going to be what really makes or breaks it, though, because it's uh, 
Backpack Tetris, for lack of a better term. Uh, you know, Diablo-style backpack Tetris. So it's trying to fit everything you can into your backpack to take back to your shop to sell. Interesting, uh, to say the least. Look at that. It, it really depends on just you know, how much meat there is on the bones. Granted, it's not a very expensive game. Yeah, it doesn't look bad, but it doesn't necessarily look like something I'd be interested in. I mean, it's not very expensive either, so... Yeah. Let's see, what else? Uh, it looks like this is our uh, only got, game on I Steam. I got one. I got one. Murder Most Misfortunate. This is a murder mystery visual novel style game where you play a detective who's trying to solve a murder at a dinner party. Why does that sound familiar? At a mansion. Uh, it says you own it. It's probably a key mailer yeah. thing. Okay, okay. Yeah, uh, I was about to say, there's something very familiar about this game. <laughs> Uh, is that a bad side? It's like, well, this sounds very familiar. It's because you owed it, you idiot. <laughs> oh, I got one. I got another one that looks good. Gears of Eden. Uh, it's an indie space adventure game where you are some sort of like, <coughs> excuse me, rover type vehicle on a moon or another planet, and you're trying to figure out what happened. Looks like there's some RPG or inventory management or some kind of survival. Well, I'm still on my original discovery queue, and I have a, another one. Gather craft. Yes. How much is this? Oh, coming soon. Okay, I have Candleman, The Complete Journey. This looks like a 3D uh, uh, sort of puzzle platformer where you are a uh, sentient candle trying to bring light to the darkness. This was a uh, green light game, so it's not a uh, Steam Direct game. It looks interesting. It really depends on, you know, just how well they play the uh, theme, because they uh, talk about, despite only being able to burn for 10 seconds, so how do they get around that? Magic. Well, it's a walking candle, so. But I do like, uh, I'm looking at the trailer, and as you uh, progress through the world, uh, it uh, kind of evolves and uh, you know, uh, some, uh, sometimes blooms to life or you, know, you see things uh, pop up. It's interesting. All right. That's the end of my third queue. I'm not going to start another one because I've got four games now? Five? Yeah, it only took you that many. <laughs> I, well, I had a shit, several shit queues this week. I mean, I only did one and I had more than you. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and, I, and I can't even say that, it, you know, it's just me being uh, with low standards. But, you know, what the hell? Let's do one more. Atmosphere. Or Atmosphere. Or it is a puzzle, I guess platform would be a, uh, the uh, proper term for this, where you're trying to essentially just get to the end of the level, and you are a ball that's trying to just you know, avoid uh, various traps and uh, get, go across uncertain paths. It's an interesting-looking puzzler. Puzzle platformer, I guess, is the best term for it. There, there's just something about the way the camera looks, though. You know, it has sort of that tilt shift, uh, tilt, uh, tilt shift to it that makes it uh, look a little off. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. You see what I'm talking about with it? Maybe slightly. Tilt shifting tends to make things look like models. Yeah, that's what I was ta talking about. There's just something about how the camera looks that, you know, Makes it look like it's not just a ball rolling around, but uh, 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 toy toyish almost. Yeah, maybe a little bit. I don't think I see it quite as much as you do, but maybe a little. Yeah, it's interesting at least. 
And considering, uh, yeah, this is a genre that's really become popular on uh, Steam since Steam Direct, because, yeah, this is an easy type of game to build. Uh, but this is one that actually put some effort into it. Yeah. And it looks like, uh, yeah, you're trying to uh, either save or get home to your female ball, so. This reminds me a lot of Marble Blast Ultra if they had, if Marble Blast had had a medieval theme. Like, I know I've seen other games like this since then, but this one really strikes me the most as the old Marble Blast game. I mean, it doesn't look bad. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's definitely not for everyone. It's pretty cheap. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's on sale right now, I think, due to... Did it just... Ca- yeah, it just came out, so it's on a uh, a release sale for 2 bucks 39 I mean, that's fucking cheap. Yeah. Do you have any more? No, or was that that, that was my last one in the queue. That came up very last. It's like, you know, that actually doesn't look bad. You had eight. So you had... Two-thirds of your games were good. Yeah, and I, and I threw I had- out a couple that were... Decent, but they were horror, so yeah, and that pretty much disqualifies them immediately. I had one that was a roguelite uh, VR game, so yeah. And I, I could hear Jim's like, I could hear him typing, roguelite VR, roguelite VR. I, I only had a 15% success rate with five games out of three Qs. Well, no Q was very good to me this week. Mine was awful. I probably had 15 or 20 hidden object games. Uh, how many just Team Direct trash? A few. More than a few. Some of them were sequels to hidden object games I've seen before, so probably not Steam Direct, but a lot of them were like, this looks terrible. Or mobile ports. There's a ton yeah, of I did, hidden object yeah, games I did, on mobile. Yeah, I did get a, a mobile port, and I just skipped right past it. Yeah, I didn't need that in my life. I get enough of that. Indeed. So, part of the podcast where you go <clears> first? Yippers, I'm going to take a quick swig of my hot tea. Hope it's not too which hot. Which is now more like lukewarm, but it's better than cold for my throat. So, Anyways, coming up on my channel this week, specifically in the week leading up to the podcast, because I was sick, I haven't done any video production or editing, so the last little spurt of Kerbalcast, oh uh, the Kerbalcast archive that I have done so far will be up. But otherwise, there's nothing else on my channel this week. I'm hoping to record some tutorial stuff uh, for Elite. I was going to do that because there was the weekly, one of the weekly community goals was a mining one. And I was like, oh, this will be perfect to do some tutorial stuff. And then I got sick and sat in my recliner and played Civ for like 40 hours this week. So, I mean, it's not terrible, but I didn't get to record anything. Hopefully, that will be rectified and shortly after the release of the podcast you will see the next or the first video on my Elite tutorial series. Otherwise, just more Kerbalcast Archive that I keep putting up. Uh, And I've got some other stuff that I've got rolling around in my head, like always, but no promises on anything. I pretty much just do YouTube for fun, and that's doubly now since in, what is it, next week? Uh, It's towards the end of the month. Okay, but coming up soon, anyone who doesn't meet their new requirements can no longer monetize videos at all. Yeah, they moved the goalposts quite a bit. Uh, you have to have a thousand subscribers and uh, just under a quarter of a million minutes watched in the last 12 months. And they haven't said that if you have to maintain that or not. If you have to maintain that, that's a hell of a uh, yeah a cutoff because, yeah, that, that's a lot of hours. Yeah. And we're, I mean, both of us are on the lower end of that. 
but there are a lot of sort of niche channels that have less than a thousand subscribers. Well, it's not just that. There's people that have more than a thousand subscribers, but they don't. But don't have the yeah, minutes, or vice versa, because there's a lot of tech uh, channels out there that uh, do tutorials uh, that get the minutes, but people don't subscribe to them because they're there for a very particular tutorial and they're doing a lot of you know niche stuff. So I really yeah. think in the long run, this is going to hurt uh, YouTube uh, because it's just going to kind of homogenize all the small creators because they want to do more mainstream stuff to try to get those uh, past those uh, goalposts. And who's to say that they won't move them again because this is twice in the last two years. Yep. And the fact that they didn't but- grandfather in people that have been monetized for, oh, let's say – close to a decade like I have or at least you have know, been available to <coughs> fuckers yep but uh yeah if you want to find my stuff on the <laughs> YouTube's get me closer to the minutes watched and the subscriber limit or subscriber count you can do so by searching for gaming psychologist I've gotten a few new subs- new subs in the last couple of weeks both on Twitter and on YouTube so thanks new podcasts or new subscribers. Uh, and speaking of Twitter, you can find me on Twitter to see all the tweets that I make, political, non-political, about sickness or video games or whatever, over at JMA4707. And if you want to watch me stream games, which those are now regularly appearing on Thursday night, you can do so over at twitch.tv slash jarthur4707. I will be posting a tweet tomorrow, which when you listen will have been at least two days ago about what game we're going to be playing this week i haven't quite decided um i kind of really want to play civ 6 but not a lot of our friends or not a lot of the community has it and i'm pretty sure kyle would kick my ass so don't don't want that to happen but i'll, I'll figure it out post a tweet uh, about i thought it. you liked uh you know getting a little bit of punishment <clears throat> every once in a while but not that kind of punishment the kind of punishment i like usually has whips oh my Wink. well i'm sure kyle could uh, be and- accommodating and uh, you can find me over at twitch.tv slash jarthur4707. And you know what else you can find over there? Some of our community members. Kyle has recently done a stream or two, and Ghost Shark seems to be trying to get into doing somewhat regular streams. And you can find them hosted over on twitch.tv slash jarthur4707, which is sort of the official, unofficial VGL podcast Twitch channel. There's also a couple of people that else or a couple of other people who are auto hosted uh, left stick down is on the list we are talking about well i have been talking with him the guys over left stick down about doing some kind of crossover thing uh, again um uh no that was one oh, versus two I, I forgot uh which one it was i, I still feel bad about but, that because he had a very terrible internet connection so i would start talking whenever there was <clears> this long pause and oh he was still talking yeah uh, I'm, I'm going to talk to them and try and set something else again with them too, but they haven't been posting regular podcasts. Yeah, they've been very, very intermittent. Um, but still, going to try and set up some more collab stuff this year. We did a couple things last year, and cross-pollination is always good. And also, building our own community is good. If you want to be a Twitch streamer, uh, and you want the official VGL Twitch stream to host you, let me know. You can send me stuff on Twitter or on our Discord channel, or send an email to the podcast. Yeah, I've been uh, thinking about doing a Twitch stream myself, especially with YouTube uh, uh, showing me out. Granted, I think I'm going to be waiting a while. I definitely want to get at least a second monitor for it. 
Uh, to be able to walk yeah, monitor helps. things. I mean, I could, in theory, do it right now with uh, my phone, but that seems a little bit cumbersome. But I'm not going to do yeah. face cam because I absolutely hate face cam. Yeah. Well, if you do, I'll auto-host you. Yeah, and stop hitting your mic. I didn't hit my mic. Thought I heard the uh, squ- uh, the squealing of the damned. Negative. Nah, that just might be my voice. But I definitely did not hit my mic that time. Uh, anyways, if you want to be my friend on Steam, you can do so by sending your friend request to jarthur4707. I accept all friend requests and love to talk to our lovely, lovely podcast listeners. See, voice alone know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from. The password for this week is Starman. Starman. <laughs> right, you get the reference now, don't you? I do. Like, I do. I-, I, could, I heard that moment of Starman, what the hell? Oh, <laughs> And for those who uh, don't know, uh, look up Talking Heavy. Yep. Uh, so my channel, I ended up, well, I skipped a day on Civ Five just because I wasn't feeling very well and uh, my sleep schedule has been absolutely screwed and honestly not getting many views. As a matter of fact, the only person that's watching, I think, is Kyle. <laughs> and probably, uh, you know, tearing his hair out. It's like, you're doing it wrong. Even though he tells me that uh, there's no such way uh, to yeah, do it wrong, I bet I'm finding a way. But my Inca uh, gameplay will be returned uh, uh, towards the end of the week, hopefully. I mean, I still need to sit down and play it because, yeah. That, it, but Civ does take a lot of time to be able to set up and record. Uh, I'm playing on Prince difficulty, but I also have one of the AI mods installed. So it's actually a lot tougher than you would think. Uh, let's see. RimWorld is holding steady. That's going to be my uh, primary concern about getting recorded, though, uh, over Civ, because I actually have views there. So Nether Wallop is uh, going to be continuing. Uh, we've got our defenses set up, and we had the great emu chase. Okay. Yeah, there was an emu in our base, and yeah, yeah, we can't leave, uh, let that, uh, you know, let that tr- transgression uh, stand. We had to destroy the emu. Turns out emus can run fucking fast. Thankfully, it wasn't hostile. Yeah, you know, more panicked and started running away, but yeah, you know, had uh, several people chasing. Oh, a ghost shark showed up for the colony, and he's a nudist, and he's a woman. <laughs> okay. Trying to remember anything nice. else about his character, but that was about it. Matter of fact, I was having trouble recruiting ghost shark until I stripped him down. And then turns out, uh, he kind of liked it. It's like, oh, these are my people. So if you wish to join the colony, you could uh, do so by just dropping me a line over on Gaming with Caffeine Rage. Uh, Divinity is still in the planning stages of coming back, but with Jared constantly having the plague and us having to have business meetings about uh, 100, yeah, that's been on the back burner for quite a while. And the Sunday Sampler should be back this week. Last week, I just... Well, let's put it this way. The three games that I played that weren't mobile were all games that I tried playing for the Sunday Sampler. That ought to tell you the quality I had. <laughs> Those were the good ones. So, yeah, I'll try to get the Sunday Sampler this week. Uh, I need to get the evergreen content that I have planned out for it in case I have another week like I did last week. But, you know, it takes more planning and more time. And actually figuring out how I wanted to handle it. But you can find that all that over at Gaming with Caffeine Rage on the YouTubes, or see me tweet somewhat randomly about who knows what on the Twitter, Gaming with CR. 
And speaking of the Twitters, you can also find the podcast's official Twitter, BGL Podcast, on Twitter, or just email us. Once again, it's bglpodcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemails, and gaming-related topics or questions or, you know, we also need to get stuff for 100, so, you know, send that in. If you still help pay for this absolute bandage, you can do so over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. Our supporters and patrons are greatly, greatly appreciated, and they did help provide us with our Podbean account, vglpodcast.podbean.com, which hosts our RSS feed and the show notes. Or you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever Jared shoved us, most likely in his butt. <laughs> well, he did get the KOI out, so you know, has to use it somewhere, right? Our intro and outro music is On the Ground by Kevin McLeod. You can find his work at computech.com. And doobly-doo for the Discovery queue can be found. Same artist, same website. And, as always, as this lovely music starts to roll across my voice. <clears throat> Bye-bye now. Uh, you're starting to get that smoker's cough. I am. <clears throat> I am indeed. Anyways, bye-bye. Bye.